0: This episode of the MJCast is brought to you by Instacart, the best personal shopping and delivery service available to our listeners in the United States and Canada. Whether you're self-isolating during COVID-19, need some last-minute groceries to finish cooking a delicious family dinner, or want to surprise a friend with a delivery, Instacart is a convenient, inexpensive, and reliable option for getting the items you need right away. Give Instacart a try by going to themjcast.com slash Instacart and discover the magic of personal shopping.
1: The following is a presentation from the MJCast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I want to see you! (laughs) I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass, you become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the MJ cast, your source of news, discussion and interviews on the king of pop. Hello and welcome to the MJ Cast. I'm your host Jamin Bull and this is a special episode in honor of Michael Jackson, the King of Pops' sixty second birthday. Happy birthday, Michael. Well, we are here with world renowned dancer, choreographer, and director Eddie Garcia. Eddie exploded onto the scene at just 16 years old when he was hired to dance in several of Janet Jackson's most iconic music videos. A year later, Michael Jackson handpicked Eddie to join his team, bringing him on to perform in short films such as Smooth Criminal, The Way You Make Me Feel and Speed Demon. Eddie also spent five years traveling the world as a principal dancer for the Bad and Dangerous Tours, and appeared on stage for Michael Jackson's Super Bowl performance. In addition to working with Michael Jackson, Eddie has collaborated with a wide range of superstars over the years, including Jennifer Lopez and Paula Abdul, and has appeared on stage and screen. He also directs a summer camp for young dancers. Eddie, welcome to the MJ cast.
1: Hello, and thank you for having me.
0: Oh, we're we're so excited to have you. You know, like we love talking with people that knew Michael Jackson, that worked with Michael Jackson all throughout his career. And I mean, you were a part of Michael's career really at his absolute zenith and peak in the late 80s and, and early 90s. So how exciting for us that we get to talk to somebody who was there for such incredible tours and videos.
1: I feel pretty blessed. It truly was an amazing experience, and at a point in my life where you know, because I had just turned eighteen, being able to see the world and being able to be a part of something so amazing was just
0: awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's—I <laughs> can't wait to get into some of those stories. So, so Eddie, where are you uh, skyping in from today? I'm in Los Angeles, California. Right, and on lockdown right now. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, it's been a very interesting experience. You know, I'm a dance teacher, so we've been finding interesting ways to be able to continue to do our art. A lot of Zoom calls. Yeah. <laughs> a of, yeah, a lot of Zooming. It really has taught us how special the world is and how important it is to continue to do what we do.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And especially your art form. Brings so much positivity and expression and escape to people. It's you could argue, even though you can't physically be there in person, it's important more now than ever.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, it's it's crazy because it, it, dance is such. It's the art form is so based on touch, and to not be able to do that with other people, like to, to physically be able to touch, you're finding other ways to connect and express yourself. You know, I work with kids and trying to keep them positive and trying to keep them understanding that this is just a small time period and we're gonna get through this. And just to keep their heads up, we're finding really interesting ways to push through. One of the studios I teach at, we're doing a virtual recital as opposed to a recital in person. The kids and myself, we're gonna meet in a park. We're gonna keep our social distance. A friend of mine is going to film them moving and dancing, all within a, a parameter where there's where safety is, you know, taken into consideration, and we're going to create like a little mini movie so that they can show something to their families, just to keep it moving forward, you know. Because, like I said, it's it's this is just a small time frame, you know, for us. But it feel it mean it's what, it's been four months, five months now. It's yeah. crazy.
0: absolutely and i'm a school teacher actually myself so everything you're saying is really resonating with me so
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i mean just trying to keep kids attention i mean and we're doing stuff that for them is is i mean this is something that is their uh like this is how they express themselves you know outside of of actually in school and stuff like that i couldn't even imagine as a teacher trying to keep their interest uh, through a computer is so difficult because i've i've encountered it especially with the younger ones their attention span is so short you know it's really hard you'll see them and the, you're like doing something and then they'll walk out of the room and you'll be like where'd you go Where
0: are you?" <laughs> oh that's my daily life <laughs> <laughs> yep
1: <laughs> you're like wait why's why is your brother in the camera now
0: <laughs> oh exactly yes that's right yeah <laughs> I mean, i got to ask as well, uh, as a dancer, what do you think about, you know, this whole explosion of uh, the new social media platform, TikTok?
1: Here's my thing with social media. It can be something that is incredibly informing and you can find some really beautiful things with it, but you can also get caught up so far into it that you lose, I think, a part of your soul. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Be a little blunt. I myself, you know, I've I, I, the TikTok dances, I, I totally understand why they're fun for kids. You know, it gives them something to try to achieve. And then they want to see that people can see that they've learned something and then they get acceptance for it. But I also see, you know, you can fall down that rabbit hole and, and get real deep into it where it becomes everything to you, you know, and you're looking for mm-hmm. those likes as opposed to understanding that. The art form of dance is meant to move people and express yourself in ways that sometimes maybe verbally you weren't able to. So you do it through, you know, your movement. It's like anything, even like food. I mean, there's a plus and a negative to it. If you eat too much, it can be negative. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I think social media is like that. If you do it too too much, it can it can become a negative. So I think finding a balance that's really important. I encourage kids to, Get off their phones and put their phones down, and understand that you know there's still, even through a pandemic, there's still a world out there, and and there's still ways that you can, you know, like I will go on hikes with my wife, and we'll find places where, you know, we can still be part of nature and be safe, you know, because I think it's important to see. The outside and get out of the house
0: <laughs> that is so important right now that you know looking after our mental health and I, I agree with everything you're saying now Eddie what we love to do at the MJ cast is is when we start interviews we love zooming way back to, to people's early lives and, and how th- their journey intersected with the king of pulp later on so would you mind talking to us a little bit about childhood and where you grew up
1: so I'm born and raised here in Los Angeles California At a very early age, I remember watching a movie, I believe it was with Bob Hope, and I saw him tap dancing. I told my parents that's something I wanted to do because I thought he was really cool. My other choice was to try to be a fire engine, so they really encouraged me to do the Bob Hope thing because <laughs> they were like, "I don't know if you can be a fire engine." I was like, "But fire engines are cool, mom! <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're little kids, you don't know." They enrolled me in a tap class with my sister, and then my sister and I t- tap danced when I was quite young. I was probably want to say five, six, seven, somewhere in there. And then I took a little break from that. Um, my dance teacher she retired my sister went off to college and while she was in college every now and then they would need a little kid to be part of the musical or part of a play so she would always say hey i have a little brother and he likes to do this stuff so i would get included in she went to usc so i would i got to train with some of the best drama teachers and and musical theater people in los angeles at a at you know a very young age i was like 10 years old through that i was able to get an agent i worked quite a bit As a little kid actor from like 10 to 12 and a half, 13 years old, about I would say I was about 12 when I did a musical. It was called Superman the Musical, which is a very, you know, obscure musical that some people don't even know exists. And I played the Paperboy. And while we were doing that, one of the casts uh, suggested that I take from a certain tap teacher here in Los Angeles took me to a dance studio called Dupre's, which was a professional drop-in dance studio here in Los Angeles at the time. Walked in, asked them if I could find out about their classes and if, if someone my age were able to take there. And they said, oh yeah, we have great classes. And I was like, yeah, I'm really interested in tap. And then they were like, oh, maybe you should try some ballet and jazz. And You know, being a 12-year-old boy, I was like, yeah, I don't know about that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to stick with the tap. And it was funny, you know, they were like, why don't you check out the ballet class? And I was like, okay, because it was happening, you know, the day I was visiting. And went to the back, and there was this really pretty blonde girl teaching the ballet class. And, you know, I was a 12-year-old boy, so I was like, I'll take that class. (laughs) 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 And, you know, she was so sweet and so awesome and so encouraging. And then they got me basically to take a basic jazz and a basic ballet class. And I remember I'm still friends with my first jazz teacher, Denise Leitner, and she was so encouraging to me and telling me about if I kept practicing and I kept doing the things that she was explaining to me in class that I could really succeed at this through that encouragement within the first six months of dancing at the studio I decided to audition for the scholarship program you know this is way back in the 80s so you know everybody wore crazy like dance outfits so I was like well if I'm gonna go to this audition I want them to to really see me. So I remember I wore, <laughs> I wore a purple unitard and looked like a tic-tac.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs>
1: it was frightening. And it was amazing at the same time. Now i would be like, wow, that was cool. But it was so scary. Um, <laughs> I'm really, really blessed that they saw something in me, you know, cause I was still very raw, but they felt that there was enough there that they could take and, and really helped me to find my potential. So I made the scholarship program. I was on the scholarship program for about two and a half years. Towards the end of it, I was taking the advanced jazz class. Uh, It was my teacher, Jackie Slight's class, uh, who I'm still close with. After class, Paula Abdul walked up to me. And at the time, you know, people weren't really familiar with Paula, you know, she walked up and said, Hey, my name's Paula. And we'd like to know if you'd be interested in uh, working on a video. And I was like, sure. And she goes, the videos for uh, Janet Jackson, who's Michael wow. Jackson's little sister. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, because at the time, too, Janet hadn't really it was this is just we were because we were going to be working on stuff from Control. So she hadn't really the pop stardom hadn't really hit yet you know, I came home, I talked to my parents, I said, Hey, I got this offer to do this video, we talked to my agent, worked everything out. I don't know if they realized at the time how old I was, I'm not sure. But I got to work with Janet, I worked on uh, What Have You Done For Me Lately, Nasty, and When I Think Of You, and did some spot dates with Janet, and I was just 16 years old, and it was an incredible opportunity for me. And Through that, I had finished my scholarship program. I had gotten a phone call about an audition, and it was a mystery audition. And I was like, oh, I wonder who it's for. And then I found out who the choreographer was, and I was like, oh, I bet you that's from Michael. I had remembered auditioning for Michael once before. I was like 14 years old. I went to the Captain EO audition, and myself and another young lady had actually booked the job. And Francis Ford Coppola wasn't – he was kind of on the fence if they were going to use kids or not use kids because of labor laws. So it was one of those things where I got the job, I lost the job, I got the job, I lost the job, I got the job, and then I lost the job. And it was kind of back and forth over a couple days. So the next time I was going to audition for Michael, I told myself I would get that job no matter what. That would be what I would do you know that was my goal so flash forward 17 years old i had i worked really really hard to graduate high school early everything was set in place i went to the audition the audition fell on the same day as a commercial shoot that i was working on so i talked to the uh, assistant choreographer and asked if it would be okay for me to go in one of the first couple groups if that was okay cuz i was working on a commercial And he said, sure thing, which was great. Auditioned for Vincent Patterson, who was uh, working on it. Didn't know at the time it was going to be for Smooth Criminal, but that's what it was going to be for. After I had done the dance, I remember the assistant choreographer came up to me and said, hey they really want you to come back tomorrow. And I was like, awesome. Cool. I went to my commercial, did that and came back the next day. And I had never really gotten to talk to Vincent, you know, the first day Yeah, I ran to Vincent and this was at Debbie Reynolds, which unfortunately is no longer there. There was so much history there. There was so much history in that one room where we were auditioning. And I remember running into Vincent in the hallway and he goes, you're eddie right and i said yeah and he goes what are you doing here and i was like what <laughs> and i was like i was <laughs> you know where your heart just stops and you're like oh no uh, am i not going to be able to do this you know it's, it, did they find out i was like 17 or something like i was freaking <laughs> out and um, he goes oh he goes you don't have to audition anymore he goes you already got the job and i was like this really Cool. And then Uh, I remember I I went home and I was like, I got the
0: job. Yeah. Thank you for giving us that rundown of the lead up to being able to work with Michael. That paints such a good picture now that I, I can sort of dive into a few of those things. What I want to ask about, though, earlier, you said your first shot, your first big shot in the industry was being able to work with Janet. And even before that, do you have recollections of um, like how you perceived the Jackson family or or Michael or Janet individually as, as artists before getting to work with them? It was funny.
1: I had a bunch of friends that worked on the Pepsi commercial when they were just about to go out on the Victory Tour. I went to the Victory Tour with my friends to watch the Victory Tour. And I thought, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. And I, I it put that spark in me at a very young age where I told myself that would be really, really cool to do. I had done a lot of acting as a kid, but even though I enjoyed it, I found greater passion for the dancing part of it. Something in that just really, really connected to my soul a little more.
0: Put yourself back in, in the audience at the Victory Tour. What was it about that particular tour that that grabbed you? What element of it?
1: Here I am, this friends with a bunch of the kids in the commercial. I remember we went, we all met, and then we all drove over together. And we were sitting in a really, really, really—they gave the kids like awesome tickets, and it was at Dodger Stadium. I remember sitting there with my friends, and they were all getting recognized from the Pepsi commercial. So all these people were asking, and they were kids, you know, all all the kids for their autographs and stuff. And um, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then I remember when the show opened, you had that creature that walked out, which yeah. later on I found out was Nelson Hayes who toured with us like later. And I was like, that was you <laughs> in the costume? And he goes, Yeah, because no one else would do it. And I was like, this, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but um just seeing like it connected as a kid that that whole fantasy thing where you see this creature and then you see the sword, and and when they came out they were bigger than life on stage to me and the energy on stage it was truly magical to see it f- from the audience as a kid just everything about it like their costumes and the it was like i said bigger than life and something that was like a spectacle and not just mm-hmm. something that you kind of some you know sometimes you'll go to a concert and you just listen to the music and it's great but you're not really being blown away by everything Mm. I was blown away by everything at that concert, every part of it. And Michael's energy was incredible on stage. Like it was just something I was like, wow, I totally get it. Like I went, I get it. I get what this is about. Just to have the opportunity later in life, which wasn't a lot later, you know, but it was still later in life was amazing for me.
0: That, that's phenomenal. Awesome. And then, you know, talk to us a bit about those particular Janet um, experiences as well. Those, those three videos that you got to work on, what were they like and what was it like to work with Janet?
1: So... The first one I got to do with Janet, it was, What Have You Done For Me Lately? And I remember, I, I believe we filmed it over at A&M Studios. There was like a soundstage back there, which isn't there anymore. I think it's now, it's it belongs to the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's where they filmed the Muppets. I, it was for a little while. I'm not sure if that's even there anymore. We were there and we filmed that video for 23 hours straight. So we literally were there for the whole day. And they were like, if you guys get tired, we have couches and things set up. You can just take a nap. And when we need you, we'll come and get you a little bit before so you're ready to go. And Paula was great to work with. You know, they were just everything about it. And I think Janet's energy, again, it was something that had seen in her brother on stage. You could tell that she was about to hit really big, you could feel it you could really really feel it and to be around that group at that age was an amazing experience and then when we moved on to nasty you know she had four of us that she tended to keep around you know because she felt comfortable with us which was another big huge blessing for me so when we did nasty we moved outside because they had a bigger budget because she had had a hit so we shot downtown la on skid row A little scary because we shot from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So it was kind of crazy down there. Like we had a lot of security. We had two 12-hour days in a row. So, you know, we finished at 6 a.m. You got home, went to sleep, got up, had like an it was off. Your breakfast was actually a dinner, you know, and went back on the next day. And then – got the phone call again for the third video. And when we did When I Think of You, we got to work with an amazing uh, choreographer, because Paula was still doing all the choreography, but she also brought in Michael Kidd, who had done so many musicals that I had grown up watching. And I was blown away. And then he kind of helped stage things because it was going to be this cool one shot. No one had done anything like that. And you know, nowadays, we start, we've seen it still a lot more now. Again, learning about how to set up like, cause I would sit back and just kind of listen and watch the director and watch the choreographers and see how they were setting everything up. All of that led up to me being able to understand what it took to be on a set, how I would sit back and kind of watch some of the older dancers who weren't old dancers, but older than me and their professionalism on set taught me a lot through that. She gave me opportunities to do spot dates, you know, so we would do a performance of all three songs because I was in the three videos. I had the opportunity to perform with her live a few times. I remember we did a New Year's Eve show and again on a soundstage because we were broadcasting across two different countries. Just before we went on, Stevie Wonder went on. And I remember sitting in the audience with her and the other dancers and we got a private performance from Stevie Wonder because wow. he wanted to warm up. Yes. He he's like, Janet... I just wanted to say hi, please tell your family I say hello. And he goes, I'm gonna practice a little bit and I'm gonna sing this song to you. And he started singing to us. And I was like, uh, this is pretty cool. (laughs) We did a couple of those where we did some performances. And then I remember we did, she told us, hey, we're gonna go to New York and perform at the hockey game. And I was like, oh, that's different. And it was at Madison Square Garden, and they pulled this little small stage out, and we performed on the ice on a small stage in front of thousands of people in New York. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Right after that, it was crazy too. I got to go to Studio 54, which was mind-blowing. You know, again, I don't know that everybody knew I was 17 years old. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I just kind of went along and kind of watched, and I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, like I remember seeing the original Vogers there with her and we, I was like, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's called Voguing. And she invited them up to meet us and she wanted to meet them. And they were incredibly sweet and really amazing. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then we came back to Los Angeles and We did the American Music Awards, and that was a huge performance. We got to perform Control, and that was choreographed by Barry Lather, who had been one of the dancers. And he's, to this day, an incredible, amazing human being, just like awesome guy. And to be able to dance with someone who was choreographing, who was kind of like my friend – to see him do it, I was like, wow, you know, someday maybe I'll get to do what he's doing too, you know, again, just sat back and kind of watched, you know, and, and, and back in those days, you know, a lot of artists, it was the artist and the dancers, and there wasn't a whole lot else, you know, there's like, there wasn't these huge spectacles that you would see during award shows, just because they couldn't, they didn't have the time and the setups to do everything that didn't happen until we started working until I got to start to work with Michael that's when you yeah. started to see that that change and that was it you know from there i i flash forward to that smooth criminal audition and that opportunity and the opportunity to you know audition for Vincent Patterson and me knowing who he was and who he was in the videos and the videos that he worked on, you know, I was like every other person who saw Thriller and was like, that's like the coolest thing I think I've ever seen. <laughs> you know? I was like, <laughs> that was incredible because I, th- I, I remember I saw Beat It and one of my teachers was in Beat It. So like I was really thought that was cool because I saw my teacher, Billy Goodson, in Beat It and I went. Wow. You know, and seeing him come back to class and seeing him in the videos, like, that was so cool. You got to work with Michael Jackson. He goes, yeah, he was really nice. You know, it was neat. And then to have that opportunity to work with Vincent and having Smooth Criminal be the first time to work with Michael. There's nothing like that. Like it's, I can't even explain it. Like to walk into that big video first.
0: Mm. And when we when we spoke to Vincent, it was amazing to hear him talk about the set of that short film, because it seemed to be a fairly long process of Michael bringing him in and then crafting it and, and developing it and training everybody up in it. But this, he, he explained it as though the set just kept getting bigger and bigger and they kept adding elements to it. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. No, I remember we rehearsed. I mean, this is just rehearsal, which was experimental movement a lot you know structured movement in certain areas and and then kind of a hey let's play with this idea and let's see where it goes and then when we actually moved into filming i mean we'd spent two weeks on on that rehearsal element when we went to film i'd say the entire job was probably five and a half to seven weeks long even to this day you don't see that ever People just don't spend that much time on something. But Michael understood that it, he wanted it to be more than just one song. He wanted it to be an experience, something that you could watch and go, whoa, you know, and have it blow your mind. He got that bug, I think, doing Thriller, you know, and how far can we go with this? Like, let's bring back the musicals. That was his goal. Let's bring back that time. The Fred Astaire who which is you know the person he idolized. Even when we were on the set, we studied bandwagon from Fred Astaire. Vincent pulled I remember he pulled me out of um, we were rehearsing a certain segment and he goes, Eddie and, and there was one of the other dancers and he goes, I need you guys to come and sit over here. He goes, I need you to watch the sequence. And he goes, this is you. And he showed me one dancer in the sequence. And then he told the other dancer, this is you. Because I want you to study them. You're going to watch it. And then you're going to watch it again. And then you're going to watch it again. And find things that they did that you can bring to what we're doing now. And I was like, cool. So that's what we did. And we sat there. And I was like, oh, okay." So there's a movement I do right at the beginning of the video that I got from watching the other dancer in Bandwagon. I went, I get it. Like, because it gave us the vibe. It told us what we, this is the vibe we're going to go with. Even being on the set, you know, I was a young kid, not always understanding, like, especially in the improv part of things, I kind of just went with it and now, like as an adult, I can look back at it and go, Oh, now I get what we were doing. But at the time yeah. I was like, just, just copy
0: everybody. Just do what they're doing. You know, <laughs> if they make a noise, you make a noise. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, I was actually watching the video, I think last night in preparation for this interview. Um, I hadn't watched it in about a couple of months, actually. I watched it again last night, the whole thing from Moonwalker and the bit, that stands out in my head right now as you talk about it, is that whole sort of experimental improv element within the video where everybody's just sort of slow mo. And, and you know, the bit I'm talking about.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's right after, right after the, um, the crash and, and, um, you hear the glass, you know, falling yes. they, again, you know, cause I heard people moaning and making all these noises and I didn't get it, but it was supposed to be a spiritual experience. It was supposed to be, the transformation of these people from the inside out. The these people who maybe were going down a dark path, being enlightened and stepping up to do the right thing. But at the time, I had no idea. I was like, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand. Just just like go with it. Like I I I could feel their energy and it drove me, but to have a real understanding, that took later, later in my life. I I went, oh, I get it. I get it. Well,
0: I love it because I think the dance break that comes directly after that, is it just hits so much harder because you've spent like a minute in that sort of eerie zone. And then when the lights come back on and it gets back into the video and the dancing, it just, I don't know, there's just something about it, just having that minute of like, what is this? And then it hits again and it just, it's amazing. I really, I think, you know, when when everything's said and done, I think Smooth Criminal, in my opinion, is visually, um, in terms of dance and choreography, everything, I think it's Michael's visual masterpiece.
1: What set it apart from Thriller is in Thriller, you know, they were on the street and it was one street and you sat back and you watched it as if you were seeing this coming at you in smooth criminal. They got into it. You were inside of the club. You were part of it and you were no longer someone just watching it. You were part of it. And I think that's the thing that resonates In Smooth, that's a little different than Thriller. Thriller, you're watching it like you're watching a movie. Smooth, you're actually physically, the camera's moving around like as if you're the eyes seeing these things happen around you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about the choreography and the inspirations for the dance in Smooth Criminal. Can you cast your mind back to those rehearsals? Who was choreographing and and what were those inspirations?
1: Going back to – there's a movie with Fred Astaire called Bandwagon, Sid Charisse. And that was – there's a um, section in that movie. It was the inspiration for that portion of, of Moonwalker. So the one thing I remember, Vincent, was like, we're not going to imitate them. You're going to be inspired by them. Take the things that they do, let it inspire you, and drive you to do something more. Yeah. So like sitting down with the – like I, back then it was a video cassette, you know, and pushing rewind and watching it and pushing rewind and watching it and getting to be inspired. Be, you know, there was movements. There was like – because he's like, you guys, I remember when we were rehearsing Underneath our suits, which most people probably don't know, we had a thing for a gun. And then we had these little rubber guns with weight inside the holster underneath our armpit so that it, we would be aware that these are the kind of guys that you are. You're whole, you have a gun holster. That's what you see when, you, when you're reaching. You're actually really reaching for a fake gun but a gun. That kind of realism of understanding that that's there existed you know because michael was like we got to keep it real we got to keep it real and i one of the first conversations he i remember he had he asked me it's right at the beginning of the video where he flips the coin and then he, he does his ow you know that and um he goes turn to me you know because we had had a conversation you know like a day before just about his sister and stuff." And I remember he, this particular time he was like, hey, can you feel the music? And I was like, yeah, you know. And he goes, hold on one second. And he called his bodyguard over and he talked to him. And then next thing I know, they're putting these little monitors. I shouldn't say little. These monitors around us, like in a circle. Mm-hmm. And then he, he did the owl again. And it was like a 100 times louder. And like you physically felt it hit <laughs> your face. And he goes, can you feel it now? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, but and, and I knew there was a sense of humor in that too that I I cause I know he knew. He knew I was gonna feel it. Like he was like, oh no, I'm gonna let you're gonna you are going to gonna let you have it right now. You're gonna feel it, feel it. And but it did change everything. You learn how the sound of the music actually physically hitting your body made you react differently. Crazy. I was like, yeah, that was legit. That was legit.
0: Yeah, I mean, you would have worked with a range of artists at this point, especially on music video sets. How hands-on would you say that Michael Jackson was in terms of, you know, getting involved in the choreography and interacting with dancers and crew?
1: And I know you've seen it. There's pictures of him and Vincent practicing dance steps, practicing that breakdown that you were talking about that, you know, I got to be a part of in front of a mirror and finding those rhythms and those in-betweens and so he was very hands-on through that process and he would sit back and he would watch it and he would sit there and he would talk to Vincent and they would watch us and they would talk that's kind of how you got picked for sections during the things you know he would cuz i know knowing him better now than i did when i first started working with him he always went for people that had a feel You know, like something they felt what they were doing, you know, their energy would explode out of their body. It would like be something that you could I know in his mind it would affect the people around them and make those people also start to feel. So that was part of his whole thing is sit back, watch and see who strikes you with a feel like an energy. And those are the people he liked to have around. And that's how he I mean that's how he picked the dancers for the bad tour. you know it was a feel he could tell like that person, that person, and that person. It was that quick, like it was easy.
0: I was just going to say I was reading about you online last night and and I don't know how true this story is, but it there was it was a story that the origins of you being able to work on the bad tour came out of conversations that were happening during the smooth criminal shoot,
1: yes he would have these random conversations with me. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he knew I had worked with his sister, which was something that again, I was like kind of blown away by the fact that he knew my work from working with his sister because he had seen me in her videos. I would do these spot dates with her and I get to go do stuff. So I think there was a sense of trust that I understood the family and I understood the process of the things. So one day we were on the set and he, and he was like, Hey, I have a question for you. And I was like, sure, sure. And, and he was like, Hey, would you ever want to like do a tour or anything? And I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds like it'd be fun. But I thought it was like a general question, like, Hey, someday in your life, you know, at some point <laughs> you'll get to do something cool like that with someone. I didn't know he met him. And then a few months later, it was like three, three months I got a phone call from his office and they're like, Hey, Mike wants to know if you still want to do the tour. And I was like, um, and I remember I turned to my parents and I was like, Hey, can I go on tour with Michael Jackson? They're like, yeah. I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and sure enough, I got a phone call the following day and they said, Mike would like you to invite a very small group of male dancers down to this one. It was a small sound studio. Don't tell them what it's for. They're going to come in and one at a time they'll they'll be given a song to improv to. And he goes, you know, he would like you to be there just to make sure that they, you know, everyone that's there is people that you know. He wasn't there. Again, this is where I think it's so important, especially for young dancers to understand. Young dancers and, and just people in general that work in the industry, how you – are with people will get you so far because the better you are with people, it will always come back and, and it will give you gifts that you don't expect in the weirdest times. So all these dancers that had been really kind to me as, as a young dancer and always kind of educated me or, or believed in something I was doing, I invited them all to the audition because those are the people that were nice to me. So those were the guys that got to get in front of the camera. And they had no idea what it was for. None. I was like, I can't tell you what it's for. They knew I had been working with him. So I'm guessing they could guess. But they came in one at a time. I would say we probably only had about 45 people total. And he asked them to improv the entire song. And it was on Broadway by George Benson. And they literally just had to improv to that song. When he went to pick the dancers, he sat down and I remember sitting with him and he put the tape in and he hit play and fast forward and he would be watching and he would stop the tape and he goes, who's that? I was like, oh, that's Randy Allaire. And she goes, he's got a lot of fire. I like that. And I was like, yeah, he, he's got a lot of fire. He's really professional. Somebody that you know I've worked with a few times because i worked on fame with him. And he was like, I, I really like him. And then he'd hit play and fast forward. And he'd wait and wait and wait and then he stop. And he goes, who's that? And I said, like, oh, that's Lavelle. Lavelle worked with you on Smooth Criminal. He, he goes, that's how I know him. I continue to go through the tape out of those guys he goes I'm missing an element Uh, this is kind of what I'm looking for and then I remembered he kind of gave me kind of a look slash because he was very conscientious of wanting everyone in the world should be represented on our stage every kind of person every ethnic group every like crazy hair whatever we should be on that stage so that everyone can identify with what they see, which I was like, that's so smart. I remembered meeting Dominic, and I was like, hey, I can't tell you what it's for, but if you show up at the sound studio, you're going to be auditioning. It's kind of important, so you want to kind of bring your A-game. <laughs> and he was like, okay, okay. And he came in and Dominic just came at, and Michael was in another room watching through a glass and Dominic improv, but he had so much energy and it was like ridiculous amount of energy and goes, the first thing, Michael was like, I like him. And I was like, okay. And then I remember walking out and I was like, hey, Dominic, can you stay? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And, (laughs) and then everybody left, you know, and Dominic stayed and the other dancers showed up. And then that's how Dominic got to meet him. He you know and he's like, I really like your energy. <laughs> and then we went into rehearsal that day and we started rehearsing. And it was the four dancers, Michael, and we were in a room. It's like it wasn't a very big rehearsal room. And we watched videos of his his videos and we went through sections of dances that he liked. We went through some stuff that he had done with his brothers. And this was the first incarnation of the Bad Tour.
0: The first leg.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Japan show. Yeah. And it was this is how we're going to get our feet wet. This is like our our way of rehearsing on a big scale so that we can learn about our energies on stage, us as a group of dancers with with him, with the band, with the singers. And through that, we're going to find our way to creating the bigger show and i was like that's it, it, like you would do a broadway show you know you usually you you start off broadway you mess with it and then you take it to broadway and that's kind of what he wanted to do let's give him a great show but this is our learning curve too the things that work and the things that we could probably do better and then vincent came back and tweaked the show and i believe To this day, it's one of the greatest live shows ever created between what Vincent and Michael did for the Bad Tour, because the Bad Tour, it was the energy was so raw and so new that like to me, like I remember it was everything. It was funny when we saw the we went to a screening, it was the twenty-fifth anniversary, I think, of the show at Wembley, and we all saw it and we were like cracking up at how simple the set was but how explosive the energy was Mm. and it was something that even this to this day still resonates. I know a lot of people really enjoy that show. Like you were saying earlier, he was kind of on this peak. It was like a, a, that peak time for him and, and what his presence was in the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can sort of debate back and forth where Michael's uh, musical artistic peak was, I guess. But I don't think there's too much debate in the fan community that his peak as a live showman would have to be the very late 80s, the, the, the bad tour, especially the second leg of the bad tour is just where, where it all came together.
1: Again, I think it also has to do with, you know, partly because of his age and it was his first time away from the brothers, like really being on his own. You know, he was always the front man, but really this was his show it was his chance to show and shine with his talent the way he wanted people to see. In later shows like it, he always gave incredible shows but there's something beautiful and something inspiring about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and at this point I I think I've been lucky enough to speak to uh, at least five people or so that worked on that tour from backup singers and vocal coaches and dancers and all, all different kinds of people. And everyone I talked to says how exciting it was for Michael and the whole team because it was Michael's first opportunity to show the world who he was sort of as a live solo artist. And um, yeah. I, I wanted to know from you in those... In those rehearsals and, and the dress rehearsals and all, all of those kind of things, was there that feeling of, we are going to do something really just that's never been done before here?
1: He kept telling us we were doing something that was special. So he kept informing us that that was going to be something that was going to be happening. And I remember running into him later in life, and he, he always referred back to that tour and how special it was. In so many ways, because it was fun. You know, the entire thing was fun. For me, I was young, got to see the world, and got to be next to one of the greatest performers that ever lived at a time. And just to see his magic on stage, to be able to sit on the literally on the side of the stage, and every night just see him give his gift to the audience. And that was like it was an amazing opportunity. You know, and then not only his gift, but like the awesome musicians that we were working with and the incredible singers. And, you know, I knew the dancers, but the brotherhood that the dancers had still exists. The family environment of the people that were on that tour in the way we we still try to keep in touch. We still try to say hi to each other. You know, even if we're on separate parts of the globe, just touch base, just say, hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going? They took care of me. I was a kid. The crew, the other dancers, the singers, the band members, they all knew I was the young kid and they wanted to make sure that I kept my head on straight and that I had, they re- because it's something you have to be concerned about, you know? Touring, it's a job, but it can also, you know, take you down paths that aren't necessarily the best to be traveled, you know, especially when you're young. And I never felt, as the tour progressed, I always felt so safe with them. I always knew they had my back. I remember we traveled. I think we had flown into Ireland. And I think I put my money somewhere. I shouldn't have put it. But all my money was stolen. They were like, oh, we're going to go out. And then I was like, I can't go anywhere. You know, my money was stolen. I was really, like, really down about it. I felt stupid, you know, because I put it somewhere that I, I shouldn't have. They're like, just come out and, you know, we'll go. Get some food and da da da, and don't worry about it. You know, I remember I had talked to my sister and my parents, and I was like, just tomorrow I might just need you to send me a little bit until I get my per diem, you know, in a couple weeks, just so that I'm covered. And they were like, oh yeah, no, don't worry about it. You know, and I remember when I came back to the hotel room, I had just walked in, getting ready to go to sleep, and a an envelope came under my door and when i opened it up all of the dancers the singers and the band people had gotten together and got all my money back they basically all pitched in and gave me my money back wow so that and i was like okay this is pretty special these are really cool people
0: yeah and i guess that's something that we don't we when fans watch a concert we're watching you know a one night of of something that actually was like you know, a good year or more of your life with these people traveling together, you know, I guess being each other's family while you're away. It's true,
1: you know, and like I said, I mean, they literally, especially me being young, a lot of times after a concert, you know, you're so wired that you try to go find somewhere to eat. And a lot of times, you know, I would go out with the dancers and we would, we'd go to a club not to party, but just to watch dancers and watch people and and check out the scene and literally we would just sit there there was something magical about being able to see every country and how they express themselves through music you know and we wouldn't stay out terribly late we would just go out and check it out kind of wind down and then go home and go to sleep you know because it usually would be the third show night we would try to do it you know because we try to you want to make sure you get enough rest every night you know, and then if you could sleep in a little bit more, you, you know, you could go out and be out for a little while longer. And he really believed at that time, too, we would do three days on, four days off. So it really gave us an opportunity to, to see the cities we were in and to see the country and meet the people. And, and he always encouraged us. He goes, if anybody ever comes up and asks you for an autograph, you make sure you take the time and you give it to them. Don't, you know, just walk away. And I was like, okay, you know, and every single time all of us, we were all like that. We would always make sure until we were done, you know, we signed things and and we were good. And, you know, so from 18 to 20 years old, you know, you change so much. And to be in that environment and be out there, I'm really so thankful that they were the kind of people they were because they really did help raise me at a very crucial time in my life of learning to be an adult, like really truly be an adult and be
0: responsible. And I'm indebted to all of them. So looking back on the Bad World Tour, what would you say stands out in your head as a highlight of that whole time?
1: Uh, Wembley was pretty cool because Princess Diana came. I remember he was going to take Dirty Diana out of the set because he didn't want to insult her and then i remember that he didn't take it out of the set because she told him it was one of her favorite songs and i was like <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> but he was he was conscientious that he didn't want to do something to be like to do something that wasn't right but the fact that she said no 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 do it you know i was like that's great <laughs> and the energy at that show was special he knew they were there you know cuz they had met it was pretty outstanding i remember italy was pretty crazy you know i just the energy i want to say it was rome was pretty intense like it was just a different like energy what i found fascinating is that every city offered something different than every other city so you would find something that was special about everywhere you were at and that was the kind of neat thing we were in one city and i remember it started pouring like rain was just raining down and the stage was completely wet and we had to stop the show and we walked to the back. And as we were walking to the back, Michael looked over to his bodyguard and goes, get me a mic. And his bodyguard told the sound guy, they brought, they ran it over. He got them and he started talking on the mic and he's like, how you doing? And everybody's like, ah, in the like <laughs> water's just gushing down. <laughs> and, he, and then he started like, he beatboxed, he sang, Little a cappella versions of songs, and I was like, going, What is that? (laughs) You know, I was like, What? He was so aware, I got to keep them engaged because we're not on stage. And then the clouds open, and when we got on stage, when it just the energy exploded, and we had to be careful too because they were squeegeeing the, the stage to make sure that, like, you know, we were safe having an experience like that to, to see how quickly he handled that situation was amazing.
0: And, and right now my whole body's covered in goosebumps because, because <laughs> I've never, I've never seen that or heard that. So I really, <laughs> I got to track that down.
1: <laughs> oh, it was, I think it was in Leeds. Like if, uh, if I'm, something about that resonates in my head, but I'm not totally sure. I just remember it poured like, it was like we stopped and walked to the back, and we weren't back there for very long. But he was smart enough to get that microphone and talk to the audience and get them pumped and and keep them engaged. And he did these little acapella things. And I can't remember if Greg ended up getting up on the piano, like where the keyboards was, because he was um, there was enough cover there, and and, and did little like you know piano parts with him. And for some reason, that's, that seems to be coming to mind. So there, it was just special to that one day, that one night.
0: Okay. That's the new holy grail of the Michael Jackson fan <laughs> community. We need to track that down. Okay. So <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Thank you for all of those stories. Now, before we shift out of the bad era, I know that there's other things you did during the bad era with Michael, another couple of videos. I think you worked on, uh, was it The Way You Make Me Feel and even Speed Demon?
1: Yes. And it was funny is that we did all of those before we went on tour. They came out while we were on tour, but we had actually worked on them prior to leaving the way you make me feel came about again, because Vincent was choreographing and Michael wanted to have a couple of the dancers that were going to be on tour. And then he, he also wanted to make, he, he wanted to have a certain feel to the group. So I was lucky to get picked to do that one. I remember being on the set, and the guys that look like gang members were gang members, and that's why they look like gang members. And I remember going, <laughs> well, "Wow, okay, they're legit." Oh, that's a parole officer. Hi, nice to meet you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember like you know because there was the Mexican gang and then the Crips. And the Crips were okay with me because, you know, I was Latin, so they weren't real open to me, but they talked to Lavelle a lot. But the Mexican gang talked open with me because they were like, oh, he's one of our homies. I was like, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) It was an interesting experience because, again, you know, it really opened my eyes up to these guys had gone down a path that wasn't healthy, but now... They were given this opportunity to be a part of something that I hope changed their outlook and changed something for that one or two days that we filmed that gave them something to understand that there was another life outside of being a gang member. And that if they just applied themselves, they could succeed. And, you know, I know that's how I felt because I I know by the end of the day, you know, when the day first started. They were a little more standoffish. By the end of the day, they were opening up about their lives to us and telling us all about themselves. It was pretty incredible to see how music can have that effect on people. Speed Demon was kind of just was super fast. Uh, Vincent was like, hey, if you're not busy, we need someone to be a reference for, for something in one of the other videos. If you could come down, it'd be great because we need a certain energy. And I was like, sure, sure. I didn't know that it was going to be an, you know, an animated rabbit, you know. And (laughs) and I didn't know, like, you know, later on I was going to be Spike, kind of. Like, they explained it to me the day of. They told me what they were doing. They showed me the models because everything was super secretive, you know, because we – That was the one other thing is I learned about how you don't want to give away anything. You don't want to give away the ending of a movie before you see it. So it was the same thing. You don't want to give away what we're doing, even though you know what we're doing. So even if even if you see other people that are in the band or see other people that dance with us, try to keep it really, really quiet because it'll make it a bigger surprise Sure enough, man, I was on the set. I saw him dressed as Spike once, you know, because he had the costume on. And I was like, whoa, he's cool looking. And they're like, and then they showed me the model, like the actual little claymation model. And then they're like, explained how they were going to shoot it. And they explained how I was going to stand in in the spot so michael had somebody to look at you know and then they and dance with and then he danced by himself on one side of uh, the st- stage and then i danced by myself on one side of the stage and then they shot the stage by itself just so and then they put spike into in, into it and so and when I watched it and then I got to see it claymated and I could pick out the moves that were mine because he also danced and they videotaped they videotaped me dancing by myself and they videotaped Michael dancing and they go, we don't want it to look like it's just Michael dancing with Michael. We want it to look like it's Michael-ish, you know, and it's kind of a hybrid of Spike's not quite the same. He's a little different. And I was like, oh, OK, I get it. And then to see it, because I remember what i did so to see some some of the things that spike does i go oh that's my part yeah (laughs) Uh Uh, it's pretty cool and it's funny because one of my good friends his daughter that's her favorite video she just absolutely loves because she thinks the bunny is funny and then she's like the bunny's uncle eddie which makes me feel great i was like well kind (laughs) of (laughs)
0: oh that's great and well i got a three-year-old daughter and so i'm definitely going to be watching that today at some point when we uh get off this call because <laughs> you amazing. just made me you made me want to watch it all over again that's awesome and and i'll just have another follow-up question about the way you make me feel as well i want to talk about the the prep for that and the rehearsals and the conception because the way you make me feel is kind of like bad in a way the bad video also because it's sort of especially in the dance breakdown parts of it michael's bringing in styles that he really didn't do a whole lot of elsewhere in his career like you can even see really kind of classical ballet elements coming in there how involved were you with the conception and the, and the prep for that talk to me about the vibe there
1: again it was vincent and Michael they explained it to us they're going to they they told us we're not going to see your faces you're going to be silhouettes so vincent and michael wanted to make sure what you saw in the silhouette was something dynamic and something that looks cool so it was through that that we again you know working in the studio part part of it's us playing but most of it's michael and vincent playing yeah you know and and finding those accents, you know, da, da, ga, you know, and he would, he would want the, ah, to have a, a, a lift because that's the feel there. So like, I see the brilliance in what Vincent did there because you can feel all of those rhythms and how, what we're doing. I think that a lot of that's led to what you see in modern dance and finding those little, those beats and those accents and those things is kind of what they had developed through the videos that they did together.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much. Oh, that's great. All right, Eddie, let's take our first break to chat about our newest sponsor here at the MJCast Instacart. If you're like me, you've probably spent a good part of the last five months staying at home with family. With COVID-19 still affecting all of our lives, there are times when it's difficult or stressful to get to the store. Or even if you're not worried about leaving the house, I know we've all been in that position when we're in the middle of cooking a meal or visiting with friends and family and realize we'd forgot to buy something. Either way, shopping for groceries is more important than ever these days. With Instacart, shopping has never been easier. It makes personal shopping simple, affordable and convenient. In most major cities across the US and Canada, you can pick from a wide range of retailers. Do your shopping directly on the Instacart website or app to be sure you get exactly what you want. And once your shopping list is finalized, your Instacart personal shopper will jump into action. If the shopper has questions about your item preferences, you'll get live messages directly on the website and or by text message. You can keep track of your shopper's progress and have your items delivered in as fast as two hours. Plus, Instacart will deliver items beyond groceries. They can also shop for household essentials, office supplies, and even alcohol. When all of your items have been collected and your driver is on their way, you can select contactless delivery for maximum safety, and your groceries will be left at your doorstep. With Instacart, in just a few easy steps, you have all your home shopping available at the click of a button. Now, we wouldn't have a sponsor on the MJCast unless we'd personally tried it and loved it. And unfortunately, I'm not a resident of the US or Canada, so I haven't been able to personally give it a go. But my co-host Elise has and absolutely loves it. I know that as a busy parent, it'd be so useful for me as well. First time Instacart shoppers can also help support the MJCast. Use our special link at themjcast.com slash Instacart. Remember that this service is available to US and Canada residents only, and you'll want to be sure that Instacart is available in your city. Just remember, the mjcast.com/instacart. Give it a go. And Instacart, thank you so much for sponsoring the MJcast. Let's get back to it. Well, oh, what what an incredible story there. Michael, in the late 80s during the bad era, brilliant. I, I'm also interested in the era that, that follows that, the dangerous era. Fans go back and forth all the time around what their favorite tour is, and it's it's always usually bad or dangerous. Yes. Uh, and, and do you ever just sit there and, and pinch yourself that you were a part of both of those tours?
1: I do, I do. I, you know, again, I... I count my blessings that I I was there for the Bad Tour and then because of that tour it opened up so many doors for me here in Los Angeles as a dancer. So I was always working. I remember hearing there was an audition for somebody going on and I knew who it was for because I'd heard through the grapevine. And then I was like kind of bummed that like we didn't get a phone call. Like I was like, "Yeah. Oh no, maybe he doesn't want us." I was like, "Well, I'm gonna go to the audition anyways. You know, (laughs) you know, I I knew Kenny Ortega was working on it. So I knew, you know, that's sometimes, you know, artists need a change. But I was like, well, it's not like I don't know the material, (laughs) you know, so (laughs) I went to the audition, just like everybody else. I don't want to say I had an unfair advantage, but I did. I lived that era for so long that I knew the kind of energy that he wanted to see and what the kinds of things that he he liked to see on stage and feel on stage so I was just I'm gonna just bring that and then hopefully Kenny can see that in me fortunately enough while we were at the audition and I'm not kidding it was literally while we were there I think it was at the callback Kenny pulled me aside and asked me he goes hey can I want to ask you a question real quick and I was like, "Sure." And it was while we were there, he says, So Michael's decided he wants to use the same guys. And he goes, But we've had all these wonderful dancers come through, and I wouldn't want to not be fair to them, you know, because they put themselves through so much. But Michael felt comfortable with our group. So Kenny decided to bring one extra person out of all of those auditions because he goes, you never know. We'll probably need a swing because if any of you, you know, God forbid ever get hurt while on stage, we'll have somebody that can step in for a second and then, you know, you can, we can do it that way. And then lo and behold, while we were in rehearsals, Dominic was given an opportunity to do a TV show. So he spoke to Kenny. He, and he was like, "It's something he spoke to Michael and they encouraged him to follow his dream. So Dominic stepped out, and Jamie King stepped in. You know, and and Dominic stayed with us during rehearsals and guided Jamie through stuff to make sure Jamie felt comfortable before he went on to do his TV show, which I thought was incredibly gracious and amazing. You know, and it was I I, I thought that was like something that like again. It showed the kind of family unit we were, you know, from the Bad Tour, that he would think enough of Michael and he would also think enough of Jamie and not just be this person that just stepped out. Hey, I got a job. Peace out. Yeah. And then Jamie brought a new energy. Like Jamie was we were like a yin and yang on that tour because Jamie had become the young guy. So now I wasn't the young guy anymore. I was the next youngest, which was weird. You know, I was like, wait, (laughs) I'm not the youngest anymore. (laughs) because of that i think that added to my energy and where i felt like i could go with what i was doing and i remember when we were choosing our looks you know because michael on the first tour on bad tour he kind of told us what we were going to kind of look like and then we it evolved and he allowed us to express ourselves through our look but he kind of guided us on the second tour we had a little more freedom it was kind of like We're going to be soldiers, but we want to kind of – you can find your vibe in that. So like, I was like, well, I have like kind of a fencing jacket for this one thing. So then I decided – Jamie and I had the same color hair for a little while. And then it was sometimes hard to tell us apart. So he decided to go blonde, and I decided to grow a goatee. And that way we could differentiate who was who. And he approved because he totally got it. He goes, I wanted to, again, feel – Everyone should feel like an individual even though we are a unit. And that's how our unit becomes something stronger. Yeah, and then we just developed that with the makeup people and the hair people and even the people designing the costumes, they would show us. But as the tours progress, sometimes things get added in the costumes. It all kind of vibes together, you know. It kind of comes out of what the music is expressing, what the music's guiding, what Michael's feel is going to be like on stage, how you can contribute to that in the way you look, the way you feel, the way you're dancing. They would talk to us about what our pants, like if our pants were, if we were able to move enough, you know, so we really worked really, really hard. I don't know if you remember on the bad tour, I had those banana pants. Yeah. They were great, but they weren't always functional. (laughs) You know, I I ripped them a couple times during a show. This is a little crazy so we decided when we got to the dangerous tour to make sure that the outfits were always functional so our pants changed and and we had a lot more ability to move in what we were wearing which i was so grateful because then it, 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 you don't hesitate you're not afraid to do certain things you know when you're wearing something and you're afraid to, to do something Michael wasn't happy with that he would always go no 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 if something doesn't work you just tell them and we'll fix it again you know working with Michael Bush who was took over with uh, the costume designs and the stuff like that he really he would tell us like hey can you move in this because if you can't move it doesn't matter how cool it looks you know because it's gonna not look good and that we would work with them and then again Michael allowed us to find little things and little personalities you know I he would wear one glove. I would wear two gloves, you know, and it was certain things like that. Like it gave you props, you know, to, to use, you know, cause you know, Michael would throw stuff in the audience and if we had stuff and we were out there and he wasn't out there, we could throw stuff in the audience. So like I remember I had, I had a set of gloves that I could always peel off of my hands and throw into the audience and somebody would be cool with it. And I was like, it was just a fun that I learned about showmanship and about having fun with the audience
0: that's so cool
1: yeah it was incredible
0: so leading up to the Dangerous Tour I mean the scope of it was so, so I mean the staging was so much more complex I guess than the Bad Tour you had a stage that would literally elevate and go up and down you had Rocket Man launching off at the end of the show all of these different things I mean when you were getting ready for it, talk to me about the sense of that, of, of the rehearsals.
1: It's funny because if you go online, I don't know if you've ever seen things on YouTube that say the Neverland rehearsals. Yes. A lot of people think we rehearsed at Neverland, which we did not. We actually rehearsed at Universal Studios in Hollywood. Sorry to burst people's bubbles, but it's true.
0: (laughs) I always wondered about that. I was like, really, Michael set up a big stage at Neverland? Okay, well, thanks for clearing that up.
1: Yeah, he found we were in the biggest soundstage in Los Angeles because it was the only thing that could hold the stage. And especially because the stage... So they couldn't set the stage up fully because... It had to be lifted so high because of the double stage. So we had it pretty low to the ground, but it could still go up and down. And then if we had to work on certain things, like he had to do the toaster, later incarnations, the dancers did the toasters with him. They would set up the toaster. A lot of times Kenny would find either myself, I think Jamie did a lot because we were kind of about Michael's size at the time and we would try things, you know, to see what would work, you know, I remember originally during jam and you can see it in that rehearsal if you find it on YouTube, we didn't jump from behind the singers like the way we ended up doing during the show. We actually came in all different styles, all different ways, and I swung in from the side like a pirate And I remember, (laughs) it was, it was ridiculous. It was crazy. So I was up in the rafters with this rope. And I remember the first time I went to do it, I was holding the rope a little too low. So when I swung onto the stage, I actually hit the stage. Oh, wow bounced across the stage and michael started laughing <laughs> and he was like i think you have to hold the whole rope higher and i was like this yeah i got it
0: <laughs> uh, oh, that's cool. you know
1: but like yeah i remember i hit the stage pretty hard you know and then and then you got used to like i felt like you know errol flynn you know was just like swooping in on a rope um but then you know he would watch it you would watch the tape and he goes we need to do something more dynamic, it needs to be more dynamic. It's, it doesn't have that like pow wow factor yet. So that's when the trampolines came into play where we would bounce and then learning how to use those. Where do you hide? And then when you can hit the trampoline and bounce up and end up on the stage, you know, know, and land smoothly, which was the hardest part, you know, it was like land and then look, you know, which was, that took a lot of practice. But once you got it, it was cool. Like it was easy because you, you had a feel for it. First few times, you know, you 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 hit and then you overshoot or you undershoot and you have to walk up. And then you just started to get a feel for it.
0: Wow. Okay. I, I'm learning so much here as a fan that I had no idea about before. So that's, that is awesome. You could probably – you're in a very unique position because you can compare the bad tour to the dangerous tour. Was Michael as hands-on, as engaged – in the dangerous tour, as the bad tour, or was he sort of leaving that more up to Kenny?
1: No, he was very engaged. You can see it in the in again if you go, go to that video that I was telling you about. You see him talking. And he goes, and this is where I'm, I need a light there, and you, you can hear him directing things that he wanted to see. And Kenny was working with him. Kenny and Michael worked the same way. Vincent and Michael worked. You know, it was very much a. I have an idea. I have an idea. Let's find that middle ground. Let's find something that's magical. Let's find that something that's going to get us to the next place. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, Michael was always open to people that were creative, either when he was working with Vincent or when he was working with Kenny. Each of them has a different creative vision, and he always wanted to honor that vision, you know, and try it. It was always, hey, let's try it. Hey, let's try it. But he also had a very clear idea of things he did want to see or things he wanted to have happen. I think that really helped guide Kenny on the creation of the Dangerous Tour. How are we going to make it different enough from the Bad Tour that it can stand on its own? So that was the challenge. You know, We've done the Bad Tour. Now what can we do to make this one different? There's always going to be something, because Michael always believed in finding something familiar that the fans – had seen maybe a different way of showing it, but that they had seen, you know, so that they have a connection to it, you know, and then we can always elaborate on it. I mean, you saw thriller was much bigger on the dangerous tour than it was on the bad tour, mm. you know, on the bad tour at the time, I mean, we we thought it was pretty cool that we were dressed up like zombies coming out. You know, the first incarnation of the, of thriller, we had, face makeup that glowed which wasn't the most comfortable makeup to take on and off but it was what we had the second part of the bad tour we actually had more of a physical mask when we got to dangerous we actually went in and had our masks made of our faces as a zombie which was a an experience in itself like i remember walking into the makeup it was, it was a, I can't remember which makeup studio it was, but they were really famous for doing. I remember there was an alien from the alien movies inside of the makeup place. And I was like, is that alien? And they're like, oh yeah, we did the makeup for that. We did the creature. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, I was real into like monster movies. So I was like, whoa, this is wild. And then they explained the process. They were like, well, we're going to put these two straws up your nose. It's not going to feel real good. And then we're going to put all this cold stuff around your face. And then you can't move until it hardens. So if you have a problem or get claustrophobic, just give us a thumbs down. You know, we'll be talking. We had little earbuds in. We'll be talking to you. You know, sometimes people get really, really claustrophobic. And I was like, oh, okay. So. I was pretty cool. Mine turned out pretty good. You know, I was really happy with it. It was something I wish I, I had gotten to keep. Cause I really liked that zombie. It was pretty crazy to think that it was my face sort of, yeah. <laughs> I was like, and it was funny too, because we got to express ourselves through how our zombie was dressed. So like I wore a trench coat a lot on the bad tour. So my zombie had a trench coat, you know, it was like, it was kind of a way for people to identify us a little bit, even if we were covered, you know? So we did that a lot. You know, it's like we got to, I remember I also wanted to put my hair in a ponytail. I had really long zombie hair, so they put my hair in a ponytail, which was amazing, you know, because I was like, oh, cool. So I again, I could see it and then go, oh, that, that one's me. And then the crazy part too is I got to be the magician on tour a lot like I got to do a lot of the magic tricks. I got to do it when I did the bad tour. And then when it came to the dangerous tour, they figured I had the experience during the bad tour. So why not let me do it again? And uh, so that was always a process. Is I remember was meeting Siegfried and Roy and David Copperfield and and their teams and, and learning how to sell the trick and and what the trick actually is. How it's done and and learning that because that was another thing I was really into was magic. You know, I had grown up with a friend who was a really amazing kid magician. I just didn't have the patience to practice like they did, so but I got to do it on tour, which was really cool for me.
0: The Dangerous Tour, like the Bad Tour, evolved as it went on. There's probably more similarities between the first and the second leg of the Dangerous Tour than the Bad Tour, but by the time you got to the second leg, different songs were being added in, like the song Dangerous, for example, which is just like choreography central for the entire thing. And I suppose that that particular song would have been really exciting for you guys to get your hands on for those shows, right?
1: When Dangerous actually ended up getting added in, I think I was already off of the tour. Oh, because, okay. But I got to perform it the very first time he performed it. I think it was one of my last performances with him, like actual live performances. I got to perform the first time he did it, which was fun for us. Again, we put, we put a lot of practice into that. That was choreographed by Lavelle, Travis Payne, Courtney Miller, I'm trying to think. There was a whole bunch of people that worked on that one.
0: This is the American Music Awards performance, right?
1: Yes. I think that was the first time we did it. Was a very, it was a white background. Yes. You know. Yes. And again, an inspiration came from, I think it was a Judy Garland movie. There was an opening sequence that we watched and it was that we took the inspiration from. I really had a lot of fun doing that choreography. It was so hard, though. Like it was like, ooh, 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 we got, we're going that far down. Oh, oh, oh you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I can only imagine when they did it, when the dancers had to do that live, it was like for me, thriller was a challenge because of the masks, smooth was a challenge because you were constantly. There was movement that was constantly happened because you were telling the story, but they were still breathing moments. Dangerous is very physically driving through the entire song. So it's physically a more difficult thing to do for a whole song, if that makes sense. I remember like in rehearsals, man, it was just like, oh. And I remember they would talk and I was like, hey, I don't know if I can do that part. <laughs> I, was like, I, was, I was like, I I wanna do that part, but I don't think my body's made to do that. You know, it was like <laughs> things you would find, you know, and, and they would talk. But you know, I again I got I was really happy to be a part of the breakdown on that. It's the boom, ka, ka. And it's like it's a break. It's like the little dance break before he does the And then goes into the chorus. And that part, I remember when we were learning it, it was funny because we learned it to a different song. We learned it to, oh, I'm trying to think of what song it was. But I remember at the time, they were playing with rhythms. Michael was always encouraging, because if you can't feel it in this song, then maybe if you flip the song and try it to something else, and then you bring it back and go back into get back into what you were doing. I think it was why you want to trip on me is what we did it to. Right. I think that's what we danced to during rehearsals for that breakdown, just the breakdown. Yeah. Not for the rest of it. You know, I I remember the one performance that I wish I could have been a part of, but I wasn't able to be a part of because I actually got, it was the same time Michael got hurt was the soul train awards when they did remember the time
0: where he's sitting down. Yes.
1: Yes. So that would have been the last performance I did with him, but I also hurt my back. (laughs) Oh, the day of the performance and then found out that Michael hurt his ankle. I think it was his ankle the same day. And I was like, Oh, this is just crazy. This is like completely wild. But I remember when we did the dangerous tour, learning that choreography and that's another one that was so physically difficult, you know, And And on top of it, I think we only performed it live once.
0: <laughs> okay, now this, well, I got to pause here because this is very, very interesting. Because I interviewed recently Kevin Dorsey, who was a backup singer on the tour. And he told me that the song remember the time had been performed yes and then our listeners of the show said no it hasn't that never got done on the tours so i'm very interested in this one
1: time one time so one audience got to see that performance i think we were in germany because i think that's where we started so i think we were in germany this is my i'm trying to remember and the reason i know we only did it once is because how physically grueling it was and how hard it was to get through the whole thing. I had a gold mask of, of like an Egyptian mask on my face that was real gold. It was gold. And we had these two drapes that came down over the speakers, like on the sides of the stage. They were huge. I think they said Michael Jackson in hieroglyphics, I remember I had these gold plates that went across my chest and we had these like a black fitted shirt that was really tight you know and then my black jeans and then we had this kind of for lack of a better word kind of a skirt in front and back of our jeans it was very egyptian looking and because we're in a gold mask with a little tiny breathing hole It was so claustrophobic in it and we were sweating and to be able to see where you were on stage was so challenging. After the show, he felt it was too physically grueling and vocally grueling on him. Like it was just, it became as much as he loved the song, it was too much and he wouldn't be able to sustain his performances for a long period of time over a tour if he kept it. Even though... It was a cool, like, it started with these, like, really cool drums. Again, during the Neverland performances, uh, the rehearsals, you see a little bit of us rehearsing it. But for people to be able to really see it just for that one time, I think that would be really special. Because seeing us in the outfits and with these gold faces and looking more like a sphinx, you know, I think that was pretty cool and i know i myself have always been looking for it i mean because i know we did it once i know i was like i know we did it because i remember being on stage
0: (laughs) and this this is truly this is the second holy grail moment you've dropped in the show by the way that fans haven't um, really heard of before but this this that from what i know there are no photographs of this there is no video of this online this is if this ever came out it would be an absolute show-stopping blockbuster moment for the fan world because no one's seen it, except the you people know, there. And yeah. You- <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's funny because, like, like kind of like there's always
1: this new discovery of footage and things that people find. And I'm like, I have – Fans will reach out to me and they'll be, they'll send me pictures. And I'm like, how did you get this picture? I was like, I'm, I'm in the picture and I don't have that picture. How'd you get this picture? (laughs) You know? And (laughs) and so like, I know, I know somebody has to have it. It has to be out, you know, and Michael always kept copies of everything. He had everything. It's there. So I'm sure if people petitioned and put feelers out, someone's going to find it.
0: Okay. That's my new mission to find that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So looking back on the dangerous tour, what would you say is, I asked the same question for the bad tour, but what what would you say was your highlight of the dangerous world tour?
1: For me, I think jam was a lot of fun because it was, again, it was different than as far as, as performing jam was a lot of fun. I always, I thought that opening was really cool and because I was really into the song too. So I think – I also liked – because if I remember right, we didn't get shot during Smooth Criminal on the Bad Tour. But we did get shot on the Dangerous Tour. But I, I'm trying to remember if we got shot at the end of the Bad Tour. I can't remember. For some reason, I, I, if I'm i trying to remember back. I think that got added to the Dangerous Tour. But I can't remember if we had done it. I can't remember if we did it on the Bad. I don't think we did it on. But we did the Lean on the Dangerous Tour, which we didn't do on the Bad Tour. Yeah. Which that was, to me, one of the coolest moments when people saw that live for the first time, they were like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah. Except. Yeah. Like, I, cause I remember like the first time we did that and we, we, I got to be the guinea pig for that process of learning how to do, make that work. It sounds like
0: you were the guinea pig for a lot of things with the big rope swing and.
1: (laughs) Hey, he will try it. He's young. You know, whatever. (laughs) Well, you know, like when, when, when we had the people that were developing how we could do the lean live Kenny, before he wanted to show Michael, he kind of wanted to see, what can we do? How far can we go? Which way can't we go? Can we do this? Can we do that? So it wasn't hard for me to figure out, you know, because I was like, oh, well, you know, yeah, you can go forward and touch your nose. No, you can't go to the side because you'll fall, you know, Mm -hmm. so you kind of had to kind of find that balance. And then but the first time we all did it, the first time hearing the reaction, I think was pretty intense, because we I mean we went for it and Michael would always go so far and it was like you had to keep your eye and just try to like kind of stay with him and try not you know don't stay too far upright because then that's not exciting but you know just keep an eye on where he's at and then come up with him like it was it was a cool it was another way because Michael was always about feels and to find the feel of where that distance is of the wow factor you know, and that was really fun to learn.
0: The lean is interesting to me big time because it's really showing how much ingenuity he had as a performer. Like on the the video, I'm assuming you guys use special effects like wires or something like that to do it. But then to make that a reality on stage by literally inventing and patenting the the special shoe that would clip into the thing that came out of the stage that's amazing to me
1: it was crazy because uh, again i remember they're like so we're gonna try to do this and this is how we're gonna do it and then the little board i had a little practice board and they're like so you you have to do this and you have to slide in this way and i was like okay and then the guy goes you know play with it see what see how what you can do so, you know, the, the forward and back was easy. Once you figured it out, Kenny would be like, how far can you go? And I was like, oh, I can touch my nose. Like I can literally put my nose on the ground and come back up. And he goes, oh. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know, it was like, you no, know, can, you can really go for it. Like you can really go. Then it was like, well, can you go sideways like in a circle? So we tried that. That didn't work. You know, I fell, I fell a lot. And he's like, okay, we're just gonna keep it pretty simple. And Michael was like, let's just do it like we did it in the video, just straightforward and back up, you know, and and again it took experience and communication because again, it, it is an effect and it's a live effect. And back in those days, there had to be somebody underneath the stage that pushed the thing up and pulled the thing down. So it was all about communication. So if they pulled the bolts down before you were ready, you'd be stuck. <laughs> and that yes. was not fun. And
0: that-, that happened on the History World Tour in the Munich show at the end of the lane. I don't know what dancer it is. It might be Travis or someone gets caught on it and sort of trips.
1: Oh, yeah. It's not fun. Uh, luckily, it never happened to me on the Dangerous Tour. But it did happen a couple times. And it's it wasn't anybody's fault. You know, it's just, it's communication. And again, you're trying to, you have to, it's a, sometimes like a half a second off and everything changes. But that's like, you could say that about pyrotechnics. I mean, if you're a half a step too far one way, you could get burned. Like you just have to be aware. Mm. And, um, we had great, great crew guys that were always aware. And, and that was the whole thing. Like I learned too, always be kind to your crew because they'll have your back. And that's how they were with us. You know, it's like I was friends with the pyro guy. And when they were setting the sparks on our – like the little things to shoot the sparks off in our suits. And he goes, are you afraid of fire? And I was like, no. I was like, go for it. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> so, he's like, yeah. so he's like, I can shoot off extras on yours. I'll put them all over to you because the only thing is don't put your hands in front of it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That happened once. That's not oh. fun. It, was a, it, it wouldn't burn you, but you would feel the heat, and it, you would pull away. You know, because again, you know, you're dealing with it's it's a spark, and there's heat there. But th- it was one of my favorite parts of the show was that getting shot and like flailing, you know, and then picking a way to be dragged off stage. I, again, working with the crew guy, I was like, "Hey, will you do me a favor? Will you drag me by my feet so my hands are?" Be-? And he's like, "All right." <laughs> so you come out. You know, some people got dragged by their arms. No, me. I was like, drag my feet. Like, like I'm out. I'm done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. I got to watch this tour again today, I tell you. Um, that is so good. Now, when if there ever were problems, like say something went wrong or not to plan, what was Michael like as a boss? Did you ever hear from him? Or
1: Yeah. One time we had a, a magic trick that didn't go right. And this was on the bad tour. And I was young. Frank D'Elia goes, we're going to have a meeting. And he goes. Everybody that's involved with the uh, magic trick has to meet Michael's dressing room. This is after the show, and I was like, "Oh, you know." So we went in there, and Michael never really raised his voice very much. But this is the only time I heard him upset. I understood why he was upset, but it, it, like I was shook up by it. I was really like, I was scared. Like I thought I was going to lose my job, and I was young. And he wasn't mean. Like he wasn't being. It wasn't directed at me. It was just being in a room when you feel an energy. You know, and he was direct. He was like, "This never happened on the tour before. These things cannot happen. These people pay good money to come and see our show. This has to be taken care of." And a particular crew member took and decided to try to say that I had made a mistake, which then really shook me because I was like, "I did, I did it. Like, I didn't make a mistake. It wasn't me." You know, and Michael didn't take his side. He goes like, let's not put blame on anybody. We have to fix this as a group. And then I remember I walked out of the room and I was shaking. And like I said, Michael and Frank were not disrespectful when they were presenting it, but to feel like someone at the time felt like, like I didn't understand too, at the time we weren't as easily replaceable as maybe somebody that might be on a crew. So like, I think his reaction of trying to say, well, maybe he did something wrong was a way for him to save his job at the time, which at the time I didn't understand. But I remember I went to the stage manager, Benny, and I was like, I don't think I want to do the magic trick. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't think I'm going to do the magic trick anymore. (laughs) And he's like, well – well, w- w- and I was like, yeah, it's not really in my job description. It says dancer, not magician. So maybe I'm just going to opt out of it. So he's like, OK, I understand. And he, and he went to some of the other people. And they was like, I'm not going to touch that <laughs> <And> thing. <they're> I'm like, <laughs> oh, <why? laughs> I do you that? You know, and then Benny came back and he's like, hey, look, nobody wants to touch the magic tricking. You're the only one that's been doing. I said, and then I was honest with him. And I was like, hey, Benny, look, I know I didn't pull the wrong the wrong rope, you know. But I don't ever want to be in a room and be told by somebody that I've done something that I really feel I didn't. I, Cause I was my first reaction was, let's go watch the video. Let's let's go see if I pulled the wrong rope. Cause I was really confident that I had. My lengthy story gets to I found out later there was a faulty hook. So it was something way out of my, so basically it wouldn't have mattered if I had pulled the wrong rope. It was, the hook was faulty. So they had Mm. to replace the hook. So from that point on, you know, I was in charge of all the magic tricks, but I was never going to be called into a meeting concerning any, any of them, you know, and they gave me that promise. And, and Michael's manager who was a friend of mine on tour I would sometimes I would babysit for Frank so that him and his wife could go out and have a evening and just so that they could just, you know, enjoy some time, you know, because Frank works so hard. Frank DeLeo works so hard on tour Frank came up to me and goes, hey, look, you know, because he knew I was like shook up by it. And he goes, you didn't do anything wrong. This is just part of what we do as a group. You have to know. That when things go wrong, we all have to step up and we meaning all of us, you know, he goes basically telling me, sorry, you know, I had to be part of it, but it's because I'm part of the team. And as a team, we have to hear that even when it's uncomfortable. And so I learned, you know, it was I think one of my this is how you grow up days. You know, but I was, I was scared. I thought I was going to get fired in that. And I remember different band members. They're like, you're not going to get fired. I was like, but I am. They're going to fire me. You're going to fire me. They're like, you're not going to get fired. No one's going <laughs> to let that happen. I was like, yeah. Then, <laughs> and, and they did not And, you know, and, and like I said, when, when we got to the dangerous tour, he entrusted me with the magic trick there. Cause he knew, he knew I would take the time and the care to really understand how it worked and he knew that I would always perform it the same way, like I wouldn't drift away from that. In the end, I felt very honored to be able to do that. At the beginning, it was a little frightening, you know, but I remember the conversation on the Dangerous tour the first day, they're like, so we got this magic trick, and I was like, oh no, (laughs) and they're like, come on, I was like, ah, okay, okay, (laughs) okay.
0: Some of the crew and people I've spoken to on these tours have talked about, obviously, it being an amazing experience, that they'd never trade for anything. But some of them will also say that it was a little bit draining behind the scenes, some of the drama that would go on between people. Did you experience any of that or did you just stay out of it and do your job?
1: Um, I don't know if that happened, maybe on later tours. I I never experienced it on... My, like, as far as when I was there, I, I know that Dangerous Tour was a little more, um, a, a little harder as because our scheduling was a little harder. You know, it wasn't like, so like on the Bad Tour, three days on, four days off, three days on, four days off. You always had time to kind of recoup because Michael wanted to do that for his voice. But it was also a way for your body to recoup, you know, during the week. So mm-hmm. I found that the Bad Tour, I think that's why our energy was so fresh and so strong through the whole tour. Dangerous was physically more demanding, I think, in a lot of ways because of the touring schedule and that also the songs and the different things that we were doing. You know, Because we were doing a lot of stuff that you saw on the Bad Tour, but then there was added stuff. you know, were There were new things, bigger dances, bigger performances. So I think... That became draining. And, you know, like I said, like any family, I'm sure there were squabbles here and there, but I didn't experience them. You know, I I always felt like everybody was always very respectful and conscientious of not ever accusing people of stuff and not going after people. We always worked together to make sure that whatever we were doing as a group, it highlighted whoever needed to be highlighted at the time, especially Michael. You know, you learned about humbling yourself and your performance and making sure that you never did anything that was distracting or trying to grandstand unless you were asked to. And then that's a different thing. If you were asked to, then you go for it. You knock it out. You give it all. If you're not, don't you find your moments, find right? find where they're at, because you're not the star. You're the person that's supposed to be backing them up and having their back and lifting them up. On the second tour, I think I realized that much more than on the first tour. On the first tour, you know, it was energy, energy, energy for me. On the second tour, it was being conscientious. So finding moments, working with the flow of the show, finding how to sustain your performance. Because we would do two shows and then we would get in a bus and go and and then we'd have like a day off and then we'd have two shows. You know, so our schedule was much more intense. So you had to be really smart about how you did stuff.
0: The legacy of the Bad Tour is one of triumph and, and, and just an incredible show. But unfortunately, the Dangerous Tour, as amazing as it was, ended kind of in tragedy with the show having to stop. And uh, it got cancelled, you know, partway through it because of some issues Michael was facing in terms of dependency and all of those kind of things. and then And then some problems that were happening back in the States with allegations. Did you sense... On the tour, any issues with Michael? Sort of um, his well-being as compared to the bad tour? No, no, not not my
1: time there. I did all that. A lot of that came after me, you know. So I I, again, I I, I count my blessings. Uh, Like I really did have the best experience with him. Mm. It was it was both tours were the best experiences for me with him. You know, I enjoyed. Because a lot of those things came later, I'm saddened to see that that was something that happened to him because of the person that I knew. I always felt like when I ran into him years later, I remember I was at a Virgin Mega store looking at video games upstairs and I saw his driver walk in. I was like, oh, that's weird. That guy looks like Michael's driver. And then all of a sudden, there's Michael. And I was like, whoa. And I didn't want to go up to him and bother him. You know, I hadn't seen him in probably four, four years, five years. And so I was like, oh, you know, he's probably going to get bothered. And I just, I don't want to do that, even though I'm sure he would be fine with me saying hi. And he came up to me and he goes, hi. (laughs) And I was like, hey. (laughs) And he goes, you didn't think I recognized you, huh? And I was like, oh, you know, I just, and he was like, yeah, and he goes, and he pulled his glasses off and he started talking to me and he goes, you know, he was asking me about my family. I congratulated him on his family. We were just two people talking and it was something that I really, I felt really blessed to have that connection. And the fact, you know, he, he was kind, he asked me about my family. He remembered, you know, he's like, you know, Just checking, and then and then that's remember I told you he was referring to what a special time. That's what he was talking about. He talked about it to me then. He goes, remember when we first started? What a special time that was! It was really incredible, and how lucky we were to be, you know, to have that part of our lives. And I was like. And here we're having a conversation at the Virgin Megastore, which was funny, too, because I could see employees kind of just randomly showing up on the floor and pretending like they were stocking things just because he was in the store. And I was like, whoa, there was like one person up here and now there's like 25. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but he was again, he gave me a hug and he said bye. And then I remember I spoke I got to speak to him one more time before they had gone in to rehearsals for This Is It. It was probably, it was it was before they actually even had the auditions for the, would have been the next group of dancers. And again, he was just so sweet on the phone and he was so nice to me. And I, he always started out, how are you? How's your family? How's everybody doing? You know, is everybody good? All right, what's going on in your life? It was always like, he was asking me stuff about myself, you know, and I, I found that very, it told me a lot about him as a person. Cause he didn't have to do that.
0: So what was, I'm very curious about that. So what was the nature of your um, phone call with him before this is it? Was it just like a catch up call or.
1: It was funny. Cause Lavelle had been working with him on and off over the years, just different things and different projects and different ideas. And there was one day I was talking to Lavelle just randomly and he goes, hold on one sec. And then Michael got on the phone. I was like, uh-huh. wait, what? <laughs> what?" <laughs> and, uh, and then, And then he got off the phone and he goes, yeah, he had to run. He goes, but he just wanted to say hi. You know, I told him I was talking to you. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, that's (laughs) very sweet. Yeah. So I was, I'm so grateful to Lavelle for that because that was to have that conversation and to, it be one of my last was, and it was so sweet. And so it was the voice of the person I went on tour with, you know, and hearing him. And he was very excited about what was coming up because he told me like, he's like i'm really excited you know he was explaining you know that it was going to be his last like hurrah as far as he knew you know like this is what he wanted he wanted to do one big thing you know and and just again it just saddens me that he didn't get to to fully see it all the way through i know the dancers that worked with him were deeply affected by that time and you know and and, and it's funny because when you've worked with Mike and you've been part of the people that have been on tour, it's a very small group of people that have ever had that opportunity. So we all feel connected. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, in our dance community, there's, there are, there's only a few of us that ever did it to be part of that. It's really special. I talked to a lot of them and I feel that connection is very important you know, in the legacy that was, uh, you know, that I'm a part of, I still, you know, I teach Thriller every Halloween, just because I think it's important for people to do that piece of choreography and to to understand how special it is. You know, I teach Smooth Criminal every now and then. That's a little harder to teach, though, because it's a little um, it's a different kind of difficulty. Um, but those opportunities and those things are something that's really special, and I'm very, 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 very grateful for.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, when we wrap up later on, I've got a few little questions in there for you about where people can find you and and connect with you and do those kind of classes. So, Eddie, I do have a question for you here on a bit of a sensitive topic. Unfortunately, in modern times, we know that Michael's reputation, unfortunately, has become intertwined for the well, some people in the general public, as, um, you know, an alleged uh, abuser, which is terrible. And as a school teacher, I'm constantly getting into conversations with kids where they will say, oh, is it true that he did this and all of that kind of thing. And I guess it's, it must be interesting for you looking at it because the accuser from the last few years is a prominent individual within the dance world and the dance community, Wade Robson. I'd love for you to talk to me about your views on that and I guess the real Michael that you knew.
1: Um. I'll, you know, I always go by the person that I experience. You know, and i i I can't speak on Wade's experience because that's his whatever his journey is for himself and what he's decided. Michael was always kind to me, kind to my family, and gave me opportunities to do things that I would never have been able to do those are the experiences I share with people I've also like like in my experience I, I don't talk bad about people I don't get involved in in doing I just oh I, I don't I feel it, it it can be a double-edged sword it can it can really lead to some nasty things that I don't think Michael himself would be a part of you know what I mean so like I don't get involved I, you know, as far as opinions of what people, how I feel about, you know, this or that, I, I, I don't go down that road with it because I I look at the experiences that I have with people and I make my judgments from that. And that's, I, I've always approached it that way. And uh, when I share stories, I always share the stories that I experience and and the joy I felt because I feel those are going to be those will be the things that I can, I can share with fans that are truthful and that are are real, you know? Um, so like that, I mean, that's my basic answer. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to like tip it around. Like I'm just, I, I, I was always taught, you know, just, I don't say, I don't, I don't get involved. I, I don't go into this or that. Cause you know, people have very strong opinions both ways. And because I'm in an industry where people know, Every, everyone knows everyone I've always chosen to be look I'm going to come in this from a positive place and I'm going to share positive viewpoints about a positive part of my life and the people I got to work with and how they treated me Michael being one of them Janet being the other so I'm always grateful and gracious about how I'm going to present them to people because that's the experience I had
0: Yeah, and I, I really value and appreciate that honesty that's great thank you Let's take another break, but this time to talk about the MJ Cast's official shop. Elise and I and the whole MJ Cast team count our blessings every day that we have such a loyal audience of Michael Jackson and Jackson family fans. And let me tell you, if you are somebody who is proud of the MJ Cast and Michael Jackson and want to really promote our podcast, then you can absolutely do that through heading over to the mjcast.com/shop. It's our official merch store, and we have got lots of great designs there. For example, we've currently got five great designs on the store. Our official Sunset logo, which is by far our most popular design. Uh, All nine of our seasonal logos in a design called Nine Logos, and then three great text-based artworks based on those cool helvetica list style designs that you see around the place and we've got ones that list all the jackson brothers names all the character names in captain EO, and then all of michael jackson's adult solo album names as well and you can apply these designs to a range of products including t-shirts hoodies mugs uh, travel mugs for coffee phone cases prints and artworks, tote bags, all kinds of different things. There's like, <laughs> there's masks now, there's pins, there's so many things. And it is, we get such a kick every time we get an email come through saying another one of our listeners has bought some of our merch, because we know that not only are they going to get a great product, but they're going to be out and about just, you know, repping Michael Jackson as they go for a walk or wherever they go. Now, the company that actually supplies all of our merch is called Redbubble. And they offer amazing service. I'll give you an example. So I bought a t-shirt from them with one of our designs on it. And I accidentally bought the wrong <laughs> the wrong style. I like uh, slim fit t-shirts that have thinner material. And I accidentally bought the classic one. And I emailed them. And then right away, they sent me a new one out. They, they didn't ask for the old one back. Uh, they didn't charge me for another shirt. They just sent me a new one and said, keep the old one as well. So that's how great these guys are. Now, all of the proceeds go to three different areas. They go to our show running costs, new equipment so our podcast can sound even better in the future, and then charity donations. We love giving back to causes that we know Michael Jackson would have believed in for sure. Promote the MJ cast and Michael Jackson all at the same time and support what we do by heading over to the slash shop. That's the MJcast.com/slash shop. And don't forget to send us photos as well of you with some of our cool MJcast merch. And we'll definitely share those out on our social media pages as well. Do consider going to the MJcast.com/slash shop and grabbing something to support what we do at the MJcast. Alright, let's get back to Eddie. Alrighty, so I want to wrap up the dangerous era with Because I know that you worked on some other little award show performances and different things throughout it. One of the performances that you did really is one of the most quintessential and well-known of Michael's whole career, which is the Super Bowl. Jesus, the Super Bowl. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) Oh It was crazy. Like I remember where they were like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do Super Bowl. I was like, we're what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're doing the halftime show. I was like, oh, all right, cool. And it was funny because Vincent came back to do that. So Vincent worked on the Super Bowl halftime. I don't know if Kenny was working on something, but I know Vincent did the the halftime. So it's the only time you'll ever see dancers with Michael during Billy Jean, which is pretty funny because I had forgotten that until I'd seen it again, like later in life. I went, oh, yeah, we danced during Billie Jean. Mm. That's weird, you know, because I didn't remember that. You know, you remember the like I remember we danced on jam. I remember we danced like I, you you know, heal the world, you know, and I remember all those things. But I was always so used to seeing him do Billie Jean by himself that it was interesting because there was nowhere for us to go once you're on that stage because it was Quite small, you know, for the time, you know, the, the shows have gotten so much more elaborate. But for the time, it was a big deal. Like the work that went into them explaining how the stage was going to come together. We had a certain amount of time. They had to bring the stage from four different sides, smack it together, get the band on. We had to get in place. We had all this before we come back from commercial da-da-da. And then once we were live, it was a, all the way through. Don't stop. So... It was fun. I remember, like, being on the field and seeing. You know, I think it was Dallas and the Bills. And I remember thinking, I was like, "Wow, Dallas Cowboys are huge." And then I saw the Buffalo Bills. I'm like, "They're big too, but the Dallas Cowboys are huge." <laughs> like, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, "This is a big like and like and that's when Dallas was like, you know, had their they were it was they were huge then. I think it was Troy Aikman and and in that group. Um, but I remember afterwards like it's interesting to me now reflecting back that it's considered to be like one of the greatest ever for the halftime shows and i think it's because it wasn't the first but it was the first of that kind of taking it to that level Mm -hmm. you know bringing it to a place that hadn't been seen like that before and that's inspired everyone to this day people still try to there's certain performances during the halftime show that people will go, oh, that guy, or that. Like, I remember Prince, you know, during oh, the halftime, yeah. in the rain, what? You're doing purple rain in the rain. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, you look at that and you go, wow, okay. To me, to be a part of something that was somewhat historic for, you know, for TV was pretty cool. Rehearsal process, I don't remember it was't it wasn't too bad for us. It was more about how we have to get on the on the field off the field kind of a thing. That was yeah. what we had to really work on,
0: yeah. and and what stands out to me is really special about the Super Bowl performance is the fact that Michael, in a lot of ways, didn't make it about him so much. Like he so easily could have come out and just done. I don't know, a bunch of mega hits like The Way You Make Me Feel and all of that kind of thing. But most of that performance is actually the, the, the kids on stage and the audience flipping over the placards and Heal the World and the message. You know, He didn't come out there to try and promote mega hits and sell more songs. He came out there to spread the message of peace and coming together. He used that giant viewership to send that message, which, which I think speaks a lot to his character.
1: Yeah, and I think it still resonates, especially nowadays. You know, I think there are certain messages that were expressed during two of our tours and, and the Super Bowl halftime that resonate now and are important for us to like, look because we should be moving forward and we should be getting better as a world. And, you know, and sometimes I, I think we have these missteps and things that happen, but maybe they open our eyes up and we can, and we can grow and become better people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really cool to think, actually. Like, what did Michael do in his Super Bowl? Well, his message was anti-racism in black or white and coming together for Heal the World. So very very good stuff. Um, all right, Did before we wrap Dangerous Era real quick, was there any other special performances that you were involved in outside of the tour that come to mind?
1: I did like doing the Grammys. I thought that was pretty cool again because you know to do the grammys was pretty cool to do it with him it was pretty amazing like it was like and it was the first time people heard that like bluesy breakdown of the way you make me feel cuz i remember when they played it for us and he and he did it i was like oh that's sick you know i was like <laughs> yeah. i was like it was just he just when he when he does man in the mirror at the end of that it just goes to a whole nother level and i was like oh man wow wow like i remember that night i was like wow where did that come from you know but it's because it was part of him since the day he was you know since he was little you know it's like once you get on that stage you go out there and you give him 150 percent, like you give him everything the first conversation i had with him we were in Tokyo at the first conversation about the show. We were underneath the stage, and I was shaking. And he was turned to me, and he goes, "Are you nervous?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, I was like, I wasn't <laughs> gonna lie. And he's like, "Well, no, it's good." He's like, "It's good." If he goes, "You're nervous because you care," and he goes, mm-hmm. and that's he goes, "That's important." And he goes, "Take this moment in because you're never gonna feel this moment right here." and he goes and then go out there and hurt them. And I was like, "Okay, okay, okay." You know, and and it wasn't like hurt them physically. It was like hurt them with like give them so much that they feel everything you're feeling and they go, "Oh, yeah, that was that was out of control." That one conversation changed my life. That one that understanding how to put me at ease being inexperienced in this. And, and not faulting me for it, you know, and then wanting to move me forward, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, and basically building me up before I walked out on stage with one of the most famous people in the world. For him to take that moment to realize that I needed that, I thought that was cool.
0: Yeah, the, I love hearing that about Michael because he, he wasn't just... Michael the performer. He was Michael, he was coaching his team through these in incredible situations, you know, and he often took on new people new to the industry and gave them incredible advice. So I love hearing that. Beautiful. Did you ever get the chance to go to Neverland?
1: I did not. No, no. I had friends that, that got to go, and I was like, no, unfortunately, I never got to go. I saw pictures. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, that looks cool. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I did go to the family house, which was pretty cool in itself. Like I remember going to that. It was funny because when I went to the Jackson house, I expected like this crazy property and it was, it was a beautiful property, but I expected it to be like biggest thing ever. And it it wasn't, it was what you would expect for a family of their size. You know, you'd be like, yeah, you need this many rooms. Because you got that many like kids, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah. And I got to do that because Janet had invited me. So I got to go check out the family house and she took me, she showed me around and stuff. And I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah. I'd love to go there one day. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I mean, just, it's, it's so cool to think like he was living there during the thriller era, sort of just in the little studio there with his team, crafting these demos that would become the mega hits of, you know, Billie Jean and, want to be starting something and all that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like ground zero. <laughs> okay, random question. I'm curious how you guys as a group of dancers actually stayed in in shape and trained while on tour. Was there a lot of gym work and training going on behind the scenes?
1: Uh, a lot of push-ups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of push-ups and I I mean back in the day I would do push-ups and sit-ups in my hotel. We would be at the stadiums early and you kind of walk through the show And then you do certain, we kind of would do a once through, through the show, but, you know, we were pretty good about eating well and not getting too crazy drinking or doing anything like that. Like we, we were really healthy, you know, we were really trying to be on our A game because, um, like I didn't drink when I was on tour at all. Like wasn't something I did. I physically kept active, just, you know, I I put a chair up and try to do it, you know, Different push-ups and different things like that, and then doing the show was a workout.
0: Like, oh yeah. truly,
1: <laughs> under those <laughs> lights, woo! It's like you sweat. You're like, woo! You, they'd always have to take in our pants because we, you know, you you could lose a lot of weight in a show. Like during one show, you'd lose weight. Like it was wow. crazy. Yeah, and your metabolism was huge.
0: What was it like trying to keep up with Michael Jackson? Was, I mean, was there a lot of pressure there for the dancers to keep up with him? Or was it the other way around with him trying to keep up with you guys?
1: Oh, no, it was us was trying to keep up with him. Um, Like he would surprise you all the time. I mean, his energy, like, you know, every now and then, like, I remember sometimes he would grab me and I couldn't believe how strong he was. He'd be like, wow, I'd be like, "Yow, that hurts. <laughs> oh! you know, but, like, you know, like, you know, like he wasn't trying to hurt me, but I was like, whoo, whoo. So, uh, I remember, uh, your energy had to keep up with him because he didn't, his way of, Oh, he's like, Oh, we can take it easy. He never took it easy. Like he he just, Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm going to save my voice. You know, I'm not going to sing everything. And by the end of the song, he's singing full out. You're like, wait, what? So like, you just, (laughs) you didn't mark, you just, you, 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 you found he would set the tone and how it would work. So yeah. like you just found a way to, you, he was, yeah. Your energy, I couldn't keep up with him because I mean we were on stage, but he was on stage the whole time, <laughs> you know. So I was like, yeah, we're out there, but it's he's out there the whole time. So the we got to keep time. up with him. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and looking back on all of your time with Michael, is there like a a personal memory you might have of like just a time where you and the dancers or or you and him just got to hang out? after a show and just chat about things
1: especially on the bad tour we went to a lot of amusement parks (laughs) so I remember I remember we went to Tokyo Disneyland once and they were really sweet and kind and they kind of we went towards the end of the day so they they kind of shut it down and to experience that park it was uh, there was no one there except for us and it wasn't just the dancers it was like he took the crew he took the He took all of us. We had the whole park to ourselves. Wow. And that was pretty cool. We went on Space Mountain like three times in a row. I I was almost going to puke because I was like, yeah, that's fun. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know now. (laughs) He's like, I can't. And I was like, this is crazy. There were experiences like that where we got to go and see certain things that were really special. I remember they had a really cool dinner for us in England. And I remember a night. Like he was on a horse in full, like he had shining armor on, riding down while we were eating, riding in front of us. And I was like, what is happening? Like, and there were so many, so many different uh, place settings on the, I didn't know like what knife was where what and I was like, I've never seen that fork before. What's that for? Like, I was like, cause it was like, I'd never been to a fancy dinner like that, you know? So it was, it was stuff like that was really cool. I did get a lot of opportunities just to hang out with the dancers because, like I said, we would sometimes you would wind down by trying to go get something to eat afterwards or or like we would go out and, and I people watch and go to a place and with some of the band members and, and go watch and hang out. And people were always so gracious to us and would always invite us into you know different locations. It was really awesome. Like it was fun.
0: Great. Change of gears. This is a question I ask to any choreographer that we get on the show or any dancer. I also speak to a lot of songwriters and luckily for songwriters, they get, you know, the privilege, I guess, of of being able to copyright their work and, um, you know, earn money off that in the future as it comes out in different fashions and greatest hits albums, et cetera. But in the dance world, when you guys are choreographing and coming up with these incredibly new, brilliant ideas that are artistic expressions from your mind, does it get frustrating that you're, you know, that you're unable to, to stamp that with a copyright?
1: It can be incredibly frustrating. And I know that's happened to quite a few people within the industry because there are certain things that are very iconic. That's why I always try to give credit where credit's due. Because, you know, like I said, Michael Peters, you know, what he did with Michael Jackson was incredible. He, you know, beat it thriller. You know, Vincent Patterson, what he So I'm always trying to make sure that people understand where these things came from. Because even though I believe they should be monetarily taken care of, and, you know, I know when Broadway was open, there's certain choreographers that were taken care of there. They stepped up at a certain time and made it a point to make sure that that when a show was done, their choreography was done. It wasn't changed and they were credited and they were paid for it. They're trying to get that to happen within our industry, but it is difficult. It is difficult. And it takes, again, it takes an industry wanting to change for changes to happen. So all we can do is continuously remind them what we do as dancers and what we do as choreographers and and let them know that the arts are so important especially in a time like this and if you didn't realize it you realize it now especially when it's taken away so when it becomes available available again make sure you put everything in to make sure those people are taken care of because they take care of you emotionally in so many ways that you don't realize
0: yeah for sure for sure Um, Michael Jackson as a dancer in the dance community, what, what is the perception of Michael amongst your peers, I guess, both then when you were working with him and now?
1: Uh, groundbreaking. I think he is the reason that you see pop artists have dancers. It's not really because of anybody else. It's because of him. You know, he, he was the original person to have dancers behind him, you know, dancing and beat it. And then he continued to do that in Thriller, and then it evolved, and then it evolved again. And now you see, whenever you see an artist and you see a group of dancers behind them, it's because of Michael. You know, It's because of what he did. It's because of what Janet did. They were the leaders that paved the way for those things. They were the ones that made that possible. They made dancers part of what our industry is now. That's why you know we should be grateful and thankful for them.
0: And uh, I just want to run through quickly now. Listeners always get an absolute kick out of hearing from collaborators talk about their favorite MJ stuff. So rapid fire. What is your favorite Michael Jackson short film? Thriller. Thriller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why thriller?
1: Uh, Because I was a kid when it came out and the way it affected me and what it made me think of dance. It changed me forever.
0: Yeah. Love it. Okay. What's your favorite Michael Jackson song? Ooh, that's a
1: good one. I'm gonna do a throwback. I'm into don't stop till you get enough. I think that's like like uh, I, I like it's it's the it's not his first album, but I'm all into rock with you, like that era. That's yeah. like my like that. It was just like the grooves on that album are sick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm totally with you. Late seventies MJ Triumph Off the Wall era is just
1: Yes. I Off it. the wall is like it's sick. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. All that whole I love like all the albums have something special. I do like, you know, um sometimes people don't talk about Heartbreaker, but the beatboxing in Heartbreaker is mm. sick. Like Yeah. <laughs> I'm like the breakdown. I, I taught something that, like, I'm like, like when the music goes out and you just hear him beatboxing, I'm like, it's funny. Cause some of the kids that I teach had no idea that he could do that. And they're like, that's some of the sickest beatbox I've ever heard. And I was like, sure is. Sure is. Didn't know that. Did you? Didn't know you knew that.
0: But yeah, it's true. <laughs> okay. And, and favorite Michael Jackson dance routine.
1: My favorite to do is the breakdown from smooth,
0: yeah, uh,
1: because of the complexity. My favorite to teach is it, it, it's a thriller because I love to see people. It's weird, it's so, it's it, 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 so many people around the world know it and can do it, even if it's more basic version the the that it is it is truly one of the greatest pieces of choreography ever created because there's not one place in the world you can go that somebody doesn't know it and that's crazy to me that's when you know that's when you know performing smooth and and doing the breakdown from smooth is fun for me i when people go what would you what would you like to teach i'm i always will pull towards thriller because i also feel like it's such a through line of something that you can teach anyone. You can teach it to them. Mm-hmm. You can and they already somewhat know it. Like it's crazy. Like you when you see it, it's been in movies. People copy it in movies, you know? Or they copy moves from it in movies. That's when you know. That's when it's iconic. And there are certain things that you'll see people do and you go, Oh, that's Michael. Oh, that's Michael. Oh, that's Michael. To this day I still see and I see big artists do it all the time. I'm like, Wow, that looks just like this, you know. That's great. But why yeah. but Michael had his inspirations too. You know, mm-hmm. and and so why not? Why not?
0: Last question. And this is a question we ask every single special guest we get on the show. How do you think Michael Jackson should be remembered?
1: I think it goes back to I think he what, how he made people feel when they came to see him live and they got to experience the music live was, is something that can never be described. And unfortunately, because he was taken from us too soon, so, uh, there are generations of people that will never get to experience that. But I hope that our generation of people can really show people what was so special about him that way kind of what you were talking about earlier about he had this inclusiveness of wanting to show every part of the world on stage so that every part of the world felt like they were there and everyone was included that way. And I thought that
0: was very important. I love those thoughts.
1: I think like anytime you see these geniuses, like these musical geniuses, they never stop working. You know, they're always like, and, and, I think also the experiences in their life really guide them. So, you know, the the things that he experienced as a child guided him to write the kind of albums he did as an adult, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think the people he looked up to as a kid also guided him, you know, as far as style and, and things, you know. It's like I look back. And see some videos of him when he was young singing, and I go, where did he get all that soul? You know, because he's so young, and I was like, wow, (laughs) you know. But then you get it. You went like later in life, you go, you get it, you know. And and that's why he he always encouraged us to do our best. He goes, you know, the all of the people on this stage are the best, and we're all supposed to be here doing our best because if we all do our best, just think about it. Like, and that was like that was it. That was it. I knew what Jennifer Batten was doing. I was like, hearing her play live. I was like, what? You know, and and because it was so crisp and so clean and so like everything. Greg Fillingame's, you know, it was effortless. He was effortless on that thing. Like I, I sometimes I didn't even think I was like, is he playing? Because it's so effortless. You know, it was so amazing. Surrounded by that talent, it adds to your inspiration and maybe what you can achieve you know and you just you know like i love reminiscing and i love i love being able to share stories because i want people to to i i'm never afraid of of i was i feel so grateful to all of the people involved you know to give me the opportunity to be there for that part of history you know and music and and live performances they all gave me that chance and, and like Vincent taking a chance on me, you know, for smooth changed my life for, you know, Mm. it, it gave me the opportunity to be around Michael. So I'm eternally grateful. And, and the, and what I was able to learn being around him and the others that worked on the video and seeing, seeing how that, that what's possible. And that's what I try to share when I teach Don't limit yourself to see the impossible, see what's possible and then choose to, to push to the next level. You know, kind of going back to what I was saying, you know, I work with kids and I, you know, they're always, it's always encouraging them to, yes, you know, I know things seem this way and that way, but they also can be this way, you know, or that way. Like, and sometimes even just because I work with kids, it brings me out of my where maybe I have my funk and I don't feel like, like, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm stuck at home. Oh, well, now I found some magic teaching Zoom classes to kids online. That's pretty amazing.
0: It is really amazing.
1: And seeing their faces and seeing their goofiness and seeing, like, you know, I'm not always, you know, super serious when I teach Zoom classes. You know, I'm still, a lot of them, I'm the funny teacher, you know, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> you know because you know i'm a character i want them to have fun It. i think it's important as kids that having that discovery that that like you know eyes wide open and knowing that like there's this beautiful amazing world out there that's waiting to be discovered and your imagination is just gonna like open your eyes up to all of those wonderful things i do I, i try to do it you know and it's it's can be challenging sometimes, you know, but I think at the end of the day, it's something that's very rewarding.
0: Absolutely. And everything you're saying to me resonates so much with me as a teacher, because that's the philosophy I have in the classroom. So with, um, with your zoom classes, how can people find them and connect with them? Um, and even find you on social media,
1: my social media, I'm on Instagram. If y'all want to find me on Instagram, it's Cuban, like Cuban, like Cuba cuban underscore ed and you'll know it's me because there's a picture of daffy duck in a cuban suit because i i'm a, a cartoon duck fan i love daffy duck and donald duck i don't know why i think it's because they they're always working so hard but i think you know and they're always to me they're the really funny characters that i always could relate to because i'd always key enough to their angst um <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm on Facebook. I, I, I am at my limit, but I do have a, I have a fan page on Facebook that I do go back and forth with, but I'm in a little red. It's like Eddie Garcia. There's also a Filipino actor. I heard he's amazing. I've never seen any of his films. His name is Eddie Garcia. And sometimes people get us confused. So sometimes they'll get like messages from the Philippines and I'm like, Oh no, wrong one. <laughs> Different dude. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he's amazing though. <laughs> <laughs> I think he passed away though, you know, rest in peace if he did, you know. Oh, I also have a um, Camp Me Dance, which is camp as in camping, me as in me, M-E, dance. And that's my – I run a summer camp except for this year. We're not doing it this year. But what I do is uh, here in Los Angeles, I started to feel a need. I felt that kids were kind of stuck indoors quite a bit, you know. And I I think unfortunately because, you know – I think through this pandemic that the world's been going through, I think once we we find our way out of this, which I know will happen, I think it's gonna be really important for kids to get outdoors and to reconnect. And the mission of my camp, I've done it two years, uh, in a row, except for this year, we, we're taking a year off because of safety issues. We want to make sure every everything's safe and the kids can enjoy it. We bring the kids up to the mountains. I surround them with, you know, nature. We have like swimming pool. We got like water slides. We got zip lines. We got like, you know, hikes, kayaking, you know, but then we teach dance classes outdoors. And um, I surround them with people in the, in the industry that are amazing people that have worked on Mary Poppins returns, people that worked with Taylor Swift, people that have worked with uh, Jennifer Lopez. Right now we're trying to keep keep we've been keeping it pretty small so the kids actually have a lot of one-on-one with these teachers, the choreographers and teachers that I bring in. Some of them are my teachers, people that I took classes from wow. because I because I also feel it's important to teach history, you know, to teach like i think we live in such a fast paced society now where everybody you know we're going to like talk about instagram and, and facebook and all this stuff that sometimes it's like kids their minds are going so fast that sometimes it's okay to slow them down and some i think it's important for them to learn where dance came from so like i've been really blessed to have some amazing teachers that i took from that come up and they're to me they're my master teachers they're these are the ones that I looked up to Like I said, I have really current people that have made an impact in the dance world. And I'm again, blessed to have a lot of amazing, beautiful friends that come up and they work with the kids and they inspire the kids and they inspire the kids to f- find who they are as people. And we feel that strongly in our community, you know, as dancers that we're one big, huge family and we're one big tribe that takes care of each other. And if we, approach things like that, we're better off because we will become successful in whatever way. I mean, success is, is measured in different forms. You know, I tell kids, yeah, I've, I've danced on a stage for 250,000 people, but I've also danced in front of a, you know, a, a, a small group of people and, and made people smile. And that's just mm-hmm. as, that's just as important. You know, it's just as you still get that gratitude from it and you still understand like it makes my day when I see that I teach you know a nine-year-old and, a, and an, I teach two sisters and it makes my day to see them working during the they'll send me little video clips of them working on the stuff that we worked on in class and they'll send it to me to show me that they've been doing their homework and that makes me so happy and it gives me so much hope and a lot of the kids I work with are like that They're an inspiration to myself to be a better teacher and to push to do things better. You know, I work with a group of kids, and we're going to film in the park, and we're going to create a show for their families to watch. We're going to do a drive-up, kind of like a a drive-up movie kind of night where everybody pulls up in cars and can watch on a screen, and we keep our social distance, but people get to see their kids dance. I think that's an amazing, beautiful thing.
0: Oh, man, so do I. That really warms my heart to see what your legacy has become in terms of giving back and helping kids. So, I mean, I really hope our listeners really support you and rally around you and head over to your social media and, and really support what you're doing. That's beautiful to hear.
1: Thank you. I mean. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I I, really, I try to answer. I know sometimes people send me messages and I, and I try to answer them as, as quickly as possible. And I'm very, I try to be as open and and like I said, you know, I'm all about positivity and putting positive vibes out there because I think as a world, that's what we need to do. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up in talking at each other instead of with each other, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's a, and I think if we see ourselves as a a world together, this goes back to what I learned while I was on tour. It's not as, big as you think the world, but it's, it sure is beautiful. And if we work together, it's going to be an amazing place. And once we get through this time, you know, it's going to really be, I think there's going to be some really beautiful art that comes out of this. I really do as difficult as it is. And as, as trying as it's been, you know, it's, it's also taught me a lot. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have an amazing wife. Who's always an inspiration to me. She, Every day she has such a positive attitude and it's always something like I go, wow, you know, she's truly a gift, you know, and she has a Pilates business and, and her way of motivating people because she's been doing Zoom classes online has inspired me on how to teach when I'm teaching online because I listen and I watch her and I go, wow, you know, because I'm always a student. How can I how can I get better? And she's, she truly has been like, it's been amazing. And we're like everybody else just trying to get through this thing. And we will, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be a great, huge, gigantic party
0: (laughs) at the end. That's exactly what my wife was telling me last night. We were watching, we were browsing on, um, apple tv just the different movies out and and i noticed that like that it's been a while since any new movies had been added and i'm like is this you know because of covid just new movie's not coming out and she was like probably but imagine all of the creative people around the world right now who are feeling stifled and just coming up with these incredible ideas right now ready to produce when it's over
1: it's true you know hollywood's at a standstill you know dancers don't make a lot of money to begin with, but there are no jobs, you know? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of people hurting right now. So, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. I do have an opportunity and I've been working with the studios that I've worked with. You know, there's some incredible studios by my house that have amazing kids and we found ways to, to try to get it done. And that is something I think, like even in the, in the industry, I know they're starting to figure it out how are we going to move forward? What are we going to do? But how can we do it safely? And I think that's what we're all trying to achieve that right now. You know, because this is new to to all of us, you know, you know, I've, I've never lived through a pandemic like this. This is crazy, you know, but people have lived through pandemics, and they have figured it out in the past. And we are very capable of overcoming all of this.
0: Agreed. And listeners can also find us on social media as well. They can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the MJcast. And of course at the MJcast.com, which is our main website repository for all of our podcast episodes and blog posts. And of course if people want to email us, they can too. We're at the MJcast at iCloud.com. We love hearing from listeners all around the world. Now, in terms of listening to the MJCast, we do recommend that people subscribe to us as a podcast. We are on YouTube and the MJcast.com, but you know what? There's nothing like listening to a podcast on a podcast app. It is just so much better than any other way. So whether it is through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or any of the different places you can get podcasts now, it is a great experience because you can listen to the MJ cast live and see the show notes and follow the links and see what we're talking about as we're talking. You can skip through chapters if you want. You can see custom chapter art come up as we're talking about certain things. And the best thing of all is that if you subscribe to us through a podcast app, whenever we deliver a new episode, you get a notification right on your device saying there's an episode ready to go. You can pause where you were up to last time, skip forward and back and just put it down and replay it later. Lots of different advantages to listening to us as a podcast. So follow the subscribe links at the mjcast.com and they'll take you through to different apps or platforms you can subscribe to us on. Uh, all of them are pretty great these days. All right, Eddie, I, I am just honored and humbled that you would choose to come on the mj cast i get so excited anytime i get to speak to a michael jackson collaborator but you have just taken things to another level so thank you so much for coming on the show today
1: thank you very much for having me and just remember just everyone out there keep your heads up know that we're all in this together we're all going to get through this together keep art alive and keep that happiness going
0: telling me before when we were when we were DMing that you are you're using a gaming headset. I got to know what kind of games you play.
1: Oh, I'm I'm a Call of Duty guy. <laughs> I get so angry though. I'll be online like I have to turn my mic off. <laughs> uh, but I have I have friends that it's actually like it's been it's fun for me cuz I have friends all over the United States and we'll get together. And we'll play online, and it gives us a chance to chat. I don't take it that serious, you know. It's kind of like it's just fun, an outlet. You know, I tried my gaming headset on my computer. I couldn't figure out how to make it work, so I just went with the uh, the, ear, the earbuds that my wife had. She took care of me.
0: But I know you're a guy with good taste because you're using a Mac. But I've I've got to ask: Are you PS4 or Xbox? PS4. Oh, great! And what do you what do you think of the new PS5 design?
1: I didn't see it. All my friends were talking about it. They're kind of they're kind of torn in two directions i'm i'm you know i'm one of these guys you know I, eventually i always wait i never get anything when it first comes out because you right. know i like to wait to see i'm sure it's going to be amazing and do things that i've never seen and you're going to be like because i remember when i first saw ps4 and i saw the graphics i was like what you know, it was so, <laughs> do you know what i mean so as like it's crazy because you know you. I remember. I remember Atari, yo. You know. You know what I'm saying? I like. Yeah. I remember Pong. I remember playing Pong, like, <laughs> do, do, do. you know. It's like you try to tell kids that, and they don't know what you're talking about. I was like, I had a little joystick, and I was like, move it, and it would like hit the thing and go across the thing. And you tried to hit it back and forth, and they're like, that was fun. I was like, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, my first ever console was, I think you guys in the U S called them a Sega Genesis in Australia. We called them the Sega mega drive.
1: When we were on tour, we had that in our bus. I was the only person that played it.
0: (laughs) Really? So when you were touring with Michael, you had a Sega on the bus.
1: Yes. I would always play Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And Michael would play that. He'd have one on the side of the stage and sometimes he would play, you know, before concert started just to, it was kind of a calming thing for him and just, you know, get him into a play. But yeah, so it was fun.
0: (laughs) Amazing.